0: To Inside Out with Turner
1: and Seth,
0: and Seth is hanging by a thread over here. What, what, what? Can you tell tell our listeners what what has happened to your voice? I can't really
1: tell our listeners what's happened to my voice, <clears throat> but it's uh, it's that time of the year. You had a gig last night, didn't you? No, no, I had a meeting on Monday. That was the for an auction that I'm I'm involved with. But no, that wasn't. I wasn't like practicing my auctioneering there. No, Rob, I don't go to the meetings. Like, <laughs> Easy,
0: save it for the podcast first, then get crazy.
1: Speaking of crazy, we got a good episode.
0: We have a lot, a, a lot to talk about. We have an interview with Brock Butler coming. We have the outro will we'll include the very first what they covered instead. A lot of buzz on the internet about this. A lot of excitement. What are we gonna? I'll basically read the periodicals to you, Seth, and you will select the periodical, and then I will read, you know, an example of something that on that day I noticed that they had covered. Is that is that good? I love it. But we'll save that for the end of the show. we got to, we got some other business to take care of, starting with... Um, wait, wait. Oh, I yes. want to yes. wish
1: everybody who's on a plane right now safe travels in a car, safe travels. Wherever you're going, safe travels. Teach your family well. Enjoy your time because it's Thanksgiving. This is a Thanksgiving episode, Rob. So gobble, gobble, everyone. Enjoy your time with your loved ones. That is
0: a wild thing about this podcast, the more... That each episode goes by, the more I learn that people do, a lot of people listen while they're traveling. So we're speaking to to the folks while you're on the road or in planes, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Get yourself an extra bag of pretzels from the pretty lady in the aisle. But I wanted to talk about T-Dog because his Christmas jam has been announced, and it's uh, rapidly approaching, Seth. Yes,
1: and we are a media sponsor. We're a partner of this event. This is one of the first events that's brought us on as a media, and we'll be back there. But but talk about the event, because give a little background first. Who is T-Dog, Rob?
0: T-Dog is a legendary Atlanta promoter. He used to do the Harvest Festival. The the Harvest
1: Music Festival in Lafayette, Georgia.
0: Uh, That was where it ended up. It started in Fairburn. It was a more modest uh, festival and was the stuff of legend. And the last two or three of them were in Lafayette, and um, he is just such an enthusiastic supporter of mostly, but not all, but mostly acoustic music. Americana bluegrass. He actually...
1: He's good friends with Larry Keel.
0: I could kind go of... on and on, but um, John Hartford, his last Atlanta plays oh. were because of T-Dog. They would not have happened. They were at the Red Light Cafe, and they were amazing. Well... I heard a recording of one and saw the other amazing stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He does an, an annual Hoot Nanny that, for the last five years, has been to raise money for Atlanta's Habitat for Humanity the
1: Christmas Hoot Nanny. You're talking about yes, Christmas. Yes. What
0: did I say? Well, you said the Hoot Nanny because he does a small he event. that's a family event called the Hoot, but. That's actually bigger than this. It's actually kind of a big event. But this, they have Jim, the ever-gracious Jim Lauderdale, who serves as a host and will sit in with everybody and also perform songs. Uh, He's written a bunch of songs with Robert Hunter there, Deadheads. Check him out. Larry Keel, who I uh, gauzed. Who I kind of sound like today. And I gauzed him on Jam Cruise once. If you guys don't know what I mean by gauze, listen to the John Fishman episode. Speaking of John Fishman, Reverend Jeff Mosier, the the man who taught fish how to play bluegrass. He will be there, the man who, uh, who uh, was with us backstage at the Colonel Bruce event and, and a bunch of other artists uh, doing Christmas songs and that sort lot, of thing.:
1: lot, lots, lots of Christmas songs there, Rob there's going to be a lot of Christmas songs.
0: Ralph Ronberry, who was mentioned in last week's episode with Vince Herman, an episode that's getting a lot of really good feedback. do we're not going to be able to live up to that from a sense of humor perspective, are we, South?
1: <sighs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, you really can't say much. Do you think you think Robert Pele will go to this uh, Christmas jam?
1: I wonder, hey, speaking of Pole, did I tell you, Rob? Remember how we were asking for our sponsors yes. on our show? Well
0: Yes, we're very excited to announce.
1: Pole Clark Financial. Uh, they are our first, uh, not our first, but they're our, our, our first long-term official sponsor. They're going to be with us for the next couple, uh, couple of months.
0: And just so you know, it's like a boutique music business management firm. They also uh, do finances. They work with the NBA a lot. I do believe uh, the great Isaiah Thomas is one of their clients, I think. I, I don't know.
1: Well, they do, yeah. Like you said, small business and individuals, sport <laughs> and entertainment, uh, N- 18. Now 18. with the WTNS bump, maybe they'll get Kyrie. Maybe. I mean, these guys, are, I mean, they're mean they full of awards. I mean, you know, they've got 18 Grammy Awards. Uh eleven NAACP awards and it goes on from there. But but really like they're 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 as a boutique, these guys care.
0: Very thorough, very attentive, uh excellent. And they happen excellent people. They
1: happen to represent uh are the subject of the show as well.
0: Hey, I got a fun fact. Brock Butler, that is. Do you want a fun fact?
1: Perpetual groove. Yes. Yeah.
0: Did you know that Robert's grandfather was road manager for Fats Domino in the mid fifties?
1: I did not know that.
0: I didn't know that either until just today.
1: Either did Birdie. Apparently, I hear the dog barking.
0: Is she? But you know, taxes hey,
1: taxes are coming up. I know people don't think of it until like February or March. But listen, if you're in the if you are a, a small business owner, an individual in the sports, especially the entertainment world, you know, Polé is the way to go. Don't delay. Call Polé. <laughs> Do you think he'll use that?
0: Thanks for joining us, though, Robert. It's very, very. Uh, we're, we're proud to be a, on a team with you. Great, great company. I also wanted to mention that I'm writing again. Oh uh,
1: boy, you know, what, folks. Well, let me. I don't have really a voice to talk about this, but Rob writing again really means Rob hibernating into a. Uh, I walk in the office. Uh, sorry, not the office, because well, undisclosed location. Yeah, wherever Rob is, I don't know where So we're. I walk into that place. There, it looks like you know when you see like the crime scene at like not a crime scene but like the the FBI wall and they have all the like the lines going from one page to another and a photo and all that kind of zigzag shit. It's like that, but all over the floor at this undisclosed location. And I'm like, what is going on? And he he's like t- attaching the T to the H E in a way that nobody does. But to be serious, it is not like riding a bike for me. I I, I because you can uh, you can't get on a bike, but you can ride the paper. I mean, what are you saying? Um, I, I, it's difficult for me. I, I'm
0: very, I have to go over stuff over and over again. Uh, the great writers can knock stuff out quickly. I cannot. I sometimes can come up with a nice end product, but, um, <laughs> that's why I'm working at, uh, that's why I'm starting to write and doing a bunch of different stuff. You could, you can go to our website and go, click on Rob's reviews. There's a review of the wildfire benefit that just took place in California. It had Metallica and Rancid and Dead and & Company and, uh, Tim Reynolds, Dave Matthews, Raphael Sadiq. Uh, and geezy Also, um, I'm going to be putting some reviews on ShowTheShow.com. They just posted my MSG Dead and Company review. Seth doesn't want too much Dead and Company on our website though, so I'm gonna. I'll just do one more Dead webcast, probably one from very late in the tour on our website. But if you'd like your webcast reviewed, we we're, were also slated to review Humphries uh, McGee. Uh, shoot us an email: insideoutwtns uh, at gmail.com. And give us some time in advance, uh, advance notice, and we will consider reviewing them. Do you do uh, weddings and bar mitzvah reviews also? We'll see. We'll see how things unfold, Seth. Okay. Oh, but folks, if you invite us to, to a show, please, please put us on the guest list. I had a bad experience, Seth. Did something happen? Keep in mind, I live 40 miles north of the city. And I came all the way into town to see this foreign air band. And now I've had other we've had other points where you know things you know you make arrangements you don't know, get on guest lists and that's annoying but well, at least the after the publicists come to you and apologize or something like this these these guys ghosted me as great Peacock would say I got ghosted by a publicist Seth
1: well the interesting thing is the publicists reach out typically it's us reaching out to a publicist so it's interesting that right. publicists reach out to us and and who knows where the disconnect was from the publicist to the tour manager I'm sure that that happens in the industry the one stuff, always blames the other well but for Rob see Rob's the guy that like you know, it's 2 a.m. text me. Could you get me into blah, blah, blah show plus one? I'm like, I don't, you know, like, what would what you ask? I don't okay. do a day of. That's not. No, no, I'm talking about a the, 2 a.m. for the next day. The show, oh. That was the emphasize that the show's over, whatever night that would be, so that the listeners know that, well, 2 a.m. He's not calling about that night. He's calling about, okay. What well, was a bummer. It. They
0: sounded interesting. Bishop Briggs was going to headline who we saw at Shaky Knees. Well, she's, she's really like, good.
1: You know, you, normally you get booted out. Not on the guest list when you ask right. and someone says, but when yep. someone offers. When
0: someone offers, you'd think they'd you know follow through and actually put you on the list, or when they forget, they'd follow through and apologize or, or explain what happened, but no, ghosted, bye.
1: Or perhaps I got in the mix and just totally fucked with you.
0: It could be, or perhaps RV media really doesn't represent foreign air on it, or what is it? Fancy PR, that's what it was. Maybe they don't really, maybe they're just goofing us. I don't know. Uh, I doubt that. But in the future, I think the way to do the way around it, so that I don't come all the fucking way in from Woodstock for no reason, in the future is maybe ask for an email with the tour manager CC on it, says yeah, Rob Severn, Turner.
1: They don't want to have any contact with you because you'll be like, "Hey, the show is great," and you'll be like texting them in the middle, "Hey, what's the drummer's name? I like well, his then hair." Fine,
0: I'll stay home with my dog. I'm quite content.
1: Oh, and and on that note, he is he is reviewing webcast, so you can email Rob about a webcast instead of getting him into the show.
0: And. Speaking of my dog, I'll be taking a uh, trip up north in January with my dog. We're going to have some things to promote at that time, Seth. Some things with our podcast and th- some things with the podcast platform we alluded to. You can go back to the Vince episode to hear more about the Osir- Osiris Pod, uh, and we'll be talking about an upcoming events, but uh, episodes. But suffice to say, if you have a podcast, you have a radio show, and you're anywhere between Atlanta and m- Boston, m- music related, yes, yeah, music related, and you'd like me to come on, come by, come into your town on the way. I'm not sure which route I will take, 81 or 95 yet. It'll, it'll be determined on, I think I'm going through D- D.C. Are you
1: using the podcast to find couches to sleep on, Rob?
0: No, I'm, I'm a covered for places to stay, actually. I'm all good. Meals? I'm using my personal time to promote the podcast. How, oh, so okay. how about some gratitude, you ding-dong? Hey, thank you, Rob. Thank so, you um, already scheduled to go on Helping Friendly Podcast. That's out of D.C., RJB. Thank you so much. Might talk about Matthew's Arena, that New Year's show, because even though that was my first fish show, that was a very, very significant one for me becoming, uh, getting hooked as a fish myself. Yeah, I like that. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. Also, uh, there's a show called Strangers Stopping Strangers. Uh, Stacy Smith does that one. It's a deadhead, dead org- oriented one. Maybe do it on Dead and Company since I've been, since I got them on my mind from all this writing. I don't know. What do you think, Seth?
1: I think you do what you want to do, Rob, and you just do that.
0: So email email me, uh, rstner, rstner at gmail or the show Inside Out, WTNS at gmail or Twitter at rstner if you'd like to discuss
1: uh, me being on one of your shows. So now let's discuss our interview subject, Brock Butler, who we both have a long history with. He also was a guest on a show several months ago, which is a short-, uh, short- do Visionary one, right? I believe I forget, um, but it was a quick touch base with him, you know, uh, as a Perpetual Groove was touring. Now, in the time of this interview that we're about to about to hear, uh, he talked about their their new album that they were thinking about doing. Well, since then, they did a crowd fund, and they got the money, dude. They got the money for their album, and they're going at it. And that album, the amount of money they made. Majority of that money came in the last day The campaign on the last day was huge.
0: I'm not surprised. They made the money They have a rabid loyal fan base. And this really this really shows to that And he talked a bit about how they had been working new material into the repertoire and we not saw Numa material <laughs> But we saw them that night and we, we the gorilla monsoon I, I can get off on you which will be uh, featured in this episode and uh, so much all made an appearance uh, At the show we saw right away right out the gate early on and all of the music that you hear on the show will be from the Variety Playhouse concert uh, August 26, 2017.
1: With the exception of maybe a little something from Sweet. Right. We have one from Sweet of this
0: antidote as a little uh, tip of the hat to Wonder Dog Sound Studios. And where Josh was Thane, even so, though Josh was
1: involved with that recording, he was involved with? He was
0: involved with uh, Wonder, Wonder Dog he Sounds was involved with Wonder Dog Sound. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, come on. He's the man. I'm guessing he's the best thing about it. What do you think, Seth? Hands down. Hands down. <laughs> Uh, Also, thank you to Nathaniel Roberts for putting together. This will be his second major episode, third overall.
1: Yes, thank you, Nathaniel. Thank you, Harris. And thank you, the whole WTNS team.
0: Harris Sullivan uh, working closely with me on the reviews as well. And just a great guy. We're we're becoming good buds. And by the way, I've been a bad Bostonian, dude. What's his last name? Sullivan. Sullivan, yeah. Sully. Why are we not calling him Sully? I don't know. I've been away from Boston too long. That's disgusting. You sound absolutely disgusting. Hey, Veterans Day just passed. Speaking of Harris Sullivan, he is from a very military family. God bless the Sullivans. So many of them have given so much service, and that's true courage, by the way. So back service on the someone. Brock and the back uh, perpetual
1: the groove. It was a nice discussion. Brock really un- uh, unveils a lot of uh, a lot of the deep. He lets us in. He lets us in. uh, He He goes deep. I mean, he he really does. He shares a lot with us on this one, and I appreciate his comfort level that he's comfortable enough to just share it like that. That He's he's been
0: through a lot, that young man.
1: And, And I ask the listeners when you listen to this, please take a step back and put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in other people's shoes. Maybe there's someone out there that you can relate to. Maybe you relate to Brock, or maybe you can relate to him through someone else if you can help someone else out by sharing his story um there's something there and or it's it's challenging if you
0: if you have a problem and you're thinking about whether or not to deal with it maybe also consider that other people in your life are being impacted by the problem maybe that can help inspire you to, to get the help you need brock got the help he needed and and uh on during the interview and off mic later was very very effusive about how much it's changed him in a positive way would you say seth I would say, yeah. Excuse me. I would say you need to get some help on that damn voice.
1: Well, you know, why don't we help by giving it a break and letting our listeners listen to the interview with Brock? Let's slide on over to backstage at the Variety Playhouse and hear Butler. Take back
2: the weed. Take back the cocaine, baby Take back the pills Take back the whiskey too Don't eat it now Your love is all I was after the cocaine baby take back the pills take back the whiskey too
0: Stage at the Variety Playhouse with an old dear friend and a wonderful, wonderful musician. Go ahead, Seth. Ladies and gentlemen.
1: Brock Butler.
3: Hello, hello. Cheers. How's everyone doing? Excellent. Doing really well.
0: And typically we like to start with Go ahead, Seth.
1: No, I was gonna say is that I have been to the variety and I gotta say it's looking really clean. I don't know if it's just because the remodel or was there perhaps some butler service this evening. Oh boy. <laughs> Don't feel obligated to laugh,
0: please. It only encourages him. Yeah, no,
3: uh,
1: we'll it's better that. when
0: he's not doing it when you're in the middle yeah. of saying something. So. I'm
1: just trying to get it out. You told we talked right, about this. It right? We front. talked about this.
3: Maybe you could also, you know, flip that on its head and also say that there's a relatively clean butler in the house too.
0: Yes, and that's good to. It's a good sight to see. Very much so, indeed. And you've been coming. We want to talk about some recent things before we go back sure. to the original days. But um, you've been coming out with EPs lately, um, yes? Instead of a full record, is that is that your uh, is that going to be your process moving forward?
3: No, actually, we're we are talking and not doing more than just talking now. But like a full length album is imminent. And the reason that you've seen I think more of the EP stuff is that you know I. I had drug court in Virginia and restrictions that came with that. And then we had the reunion itself. And, you know, two years and change, however far, however long it was, we weren't together. So we had the first step of, you know, seeing how how did each of us in the band just feel about it, doing the thing. How would it feel to do the reunion? Uh, In my uh, personal context would be, you know, I'd done two years... Of not playing in full bands, I was still playing, of course, and working a bluegrass thing and <laughs> this and that. But you know the the definitive perpetual groove thing, and what's that? What that's been in my life? I need, you know, I couldn't just say and say, like, okay, I just graduated drug court and I'm, you know, nothing to worry about. You know, like it's the unknown. You don't really know what's, uh, you know, if anybody who has uh, any familiarity with the process of trying to clean up and tighten up your life. There's, you know, different versions of the phrase, like uh, change uh, playgrounds and playmates, or, you know, people, places, and things. So, obviously, if somebody used to be a party buddy, you know, you'd proceed with caution if you were going to have that person in your life after the fact at all. You have to be very careful just, who you right, surround yourself with. Right. And, you know, so that was something for me, I had to think about... <laughs> But I was never afraid that, you know, if I were to walk back in and start doing a show that it would be all these external factors that I was just going to fall back into a complete mess as a result of where I was. It actually, for me, I made that my motivation to say like, yeah, well, some person might say I have to change people, places, playmates and playgrounds. I had to think to myself and it wasn't it wasn't hard. To say, that it, how much does it mean to me? How important is it? The music, how sacred is it? it? So instead of the thing to fear, like can I do this without it being, you know, jeopardizing the improvements I'm trying to make, but rather uh, that, you know, this is not something I would ever change or cut out of my life. It's not the source of these things. You know, it it might have been intertwined for all those years, but uh, really playing those reunion shows, uh, stone cold sober, 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 and uh, and it was amazing. You know, I wasn't, I didn't feel uneasy doing it. I was, you know, it was. It's the source of much of my gratitude that it's still here and able to. To be done, and I want to get
0: into all that, but I'd love to get through the early part of your career. Okay, but before we do that, also, just how many songs do you have kicking around? And and, and so, you, did you guys have an idea of a, of a next record and maybe an Amberland to celebrate the release?
3: Uh, I don't know. A lot of people yeah. I talk
0: to, the, I'm out That's, there, I'm on the fan side you know, of the show. I hear you. A lot of people want that
3: Amberland, and and again, the you know Amberland. If you addressing that specifically, that that was something that. You know, we again like the same reason that instead of me, after the reunion show, immediately saying like, "Okay, it's time to make more albums, more this, more that," you, you know, dipping my toe into each thing. So it's like first we did the single for Paper Dolls and saw how that worked. Everyone's getting along; that's fine. I still haven't fallen apart yet. If that was for concerns of the other guys, me was like, "Is he going to come back first, refresh, and then be uh, a liability?" So then we get to the EP and, we you know, a few more songs. So, yeah, Exactly. And then, you know, to compare that idea of, you know, to going from a single to an EP to a full-length album, from a two-night reunion show to proper tours, things like that. I know what we have discussed is that uh, we'd like for it to be, we're, I think we're going to view it in a sense of, we were, I've never heard any music I've ever made on vinyl. I've never had that pleasure. Interesting. So we want to uh create and shape this record in that format of what is the length of a vinyl and how will it function as a side 1 and a side 2 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's where we're at. We're talking about what we what do we want to do? How do we want to do it? And you know, we there's uh there's been plenty of like Facebook Types of comment threads and stuff like what songs would you like to see on the new album and stuff and and there are some that are just uh, really beautiful songs from our earlier you know our entire catalog so we would, we'd like to have you know some familiar favorites realized in it but we also want to uh, have it be a lot of new fresh material as now well.
1: on approach though for going into the studio what is your thoughts on going into the studio? Is it are you looking to do something in a capacity of Tree Sound or go back to your earlier days in a more mellow environment we're, like Wonder Dog? And um, then uh, we're actually going to
3: set up. Um, we're going to record everything we do, even the pre-production stuff, the writing. You know, we're going to get together and we're going to write all together. So, if you take it, like the song "Best of Anything" for example, I wrote that. Uh, in the immediate wake of the the last groove, I just did quotations with my fingers for those <laughs> of you listening air at home. Air, air quotes. So you know that the content of those lyrics, and I and I wrote that song and had it you know pretty much framed up as it was, and then same as we always do. I was like, guys, I've got this idea, and then there's one. Th- you know, Matt gave a contribution, and it's it's one note. But it's just one little voicing on the change, and it totally brings it all together and things like all that. Right. But that was, of course, that song had the entire length of our hiatus. For I played it in a solo capacity and this kind of capacity. Adam's been riding up a storm. Oh yeah, his new project is. Yeah, I mean, it's just and and really every you know if. If you're to look at the what positives might have come from this situation of when the when the band was not uh, all together, so when they did ghost owl and things like that, and um I think that Perry stepped up and worked in a lot of ways and I think uh maybe um even he found that he has his skill set is so much more vast than he might have thought to because if you have a group of people you kind of count on it. it's like well i'll do this thing and and then brock will bring this thing in and this you know so when to be the, begin, the, to be the be, front you man begin to become determined by a role exactly right and I, and I think that in uh eliminating those roles and having a completely blank slate as it were so uh so you bring a song like Best of Anything after you've had this time apart and that it came together it just super quick.
2: person I wish I could be to be forgiven and quick to forgive to be nobody's enemy I know there's a life I'd like to live a person I wish I give to be nobody's me i know there's a life i'd like to live a person
3: i don't wish i could be adam was playing me some stuff yesterday he sent it to my phone and i was listening to it in the van and uh so write in that method. Like, he's got this idea of a song and some lyric ideas, and I immediately, just real quick, I said, oh, this is really great. And I was like, you know, this idea might be far out, or this one. i be like, what would you think about? And this comes back to the, him finding his voice. Like, mm-hmm. he was always very reluctant to ever sing. <laughs> There's a, a funny story when, uh, back in early Savannah, we w- wrote uh, uh, Breeze, Falling Asleep to the Breeze. Mm-hmm. And the idea, it's like, I'm always... Um, I've always been a huge Beach Boys fan. I love bands that have vocal rounds and the people willing to do that. It's and in as far as perpetual groove, it's uh, easy for me to say. As far as perpetual groove had been concerned, to that point, pretty much I did most the singing. You know, there wasn't a, a point where someone say like, "Oh, that was a Matt song" or "That was an Adam song." Like you would say, "Oh, that was a Bobby song," oh, or. Yeah a Jerry song or whatever yeah and uh which I
0: want to uh, add no matter how good a singer you are it's it's difficult to carry the whole load vocally
3: yeah and, and also just in a creative sense you know it, it, to know now that uh and so Breeze it was supposed mm-hmm. to be a two part thing you know it was supposed to be like he's supposed to go falling asleep to the and before he resolves I come in and go falling asleep to the breeze and they yeah. you know overlap on each other so we practiced it we're working on the song We go out to Cagney's, this little bar, and we're getting ready to play it. And uh, I don't know if this will even translate well, only in audio. But So I'm over there writing this part of the song. The chorus is coming up, and I look over to Perry, smiling, ready. We're going to do this thing. And all he's doing is just shaking his head, <laughs> no, like he's not going to do it. Uh, and I'm just kind of, I was like, wait a minute, you know, and I looked, and there wasn't enough time. So then I had to do it. like this. I went like,
2: falling asleep to the, bee, falling asleep
3: the... <laughs> I had, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh,
0: organic overdubbing. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I had to,
3: I had to do something. And, yeah. and, uh, and now that's not, uh, an issue anymore that he's, he's really open to, uh, to putting himself in there uh, vocally,
0: well, he sang in Ghost Owl a bunch, right? Right,
3: yeah. and I, that's what I'm saying. I think that that's one of the, the silver linings right. to for whatever sure. the, the negative things or that whatever. more of the personalities yeah. on the table. Yeah, and that anybody. was some, that was some way that maybe he would only have ever developed that part of his. Uh, well, what about when yeah. you were in the studio with
1: with people like uh, was it Robert who was producing you at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy who worked with Outcast, Robert. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hannon. 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 So now was was Robert trying to Push you guys in that direction as a unit,
3: and oh yeah, well, and, and in the studio, Perry has done had sang before. He's sang right. on the the studio version of Breeze. Okay, but it was I think it's there was some sort of disconnect of like you know in the studio he you know right. he knew he could just oh, do comfort, it and get well, you're it right. You people standing right. at you judging. Yeah, him. or you know this well, Chad so, was there, so and, he was and, getting But was that getting. even added more to it. It's Like you know, I've, you know, I always believed in him. It was, um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 he's, he's he has a really nice voice, and I, I was like, man, if you know, if you just do this thing, and like, it would just bring the whole thing up. And so, at the end, whenever we play best of anything, I just I just love it so much because it's it, you know. No matter how much one person could get into something and vocally try to deliver it, but when you get, and, and Matt's over there, and Adam's over there, and it just feels, you know, really, really big.
0: Before we move off the studio stuff, I want to touch on something that you just said, though. Because the band's sound has evolved so much over the years. So then when you tell me that you're going to maybe pull some older stuff and put on the new album... I mean, is it maybe going to be a challenge to fit it in? I mean, you use sharper tones now. There's, I think, there's more of an emotional and personal content in your music these days. Would you, from a songwriting perspective? Yeah.
3: Oh I, no, I, I certainly have. You know, and that's just as you live. They say, write what you know. So the difference of like being a 15 year old kid in in my high school band talking about partying on the weekends and <laughs> and you know, like you know, smoking the blunt or whatever and trying to be rebels, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't, you, yeah, you know, you don't really have that. Uh, for better or worse, the 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 knocks that come with living, and you know, heartbreaks or falling in love, and these kinds of debt. Lo- yeah, sure. <laughs> tell me about that. Changes it. The, that changes yeah, the yeah. tune. Well, but what about like going s- into some of the themes, though? I mean, you know, regarding like you know, say a song like 2-7, for example, that was written in two thousand two, two-ish, early two thousands. And I, I stand by those lyrics. And I, there's certain, I think... Uh, Walking in co- place? Yeah, common themes of that even at, at 21, 31, almost 38, there's, you know, I hope that you smile when you're singing. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's good. So, and, you know, and then if, we, if we're to assume that we're going to shape the running length of this full-length album to be what fits on two sides of a record... It's it won't be a lot of old stuff, but we're just we're not opposed to. There's a couple songs that would be nice to, you know, two seven is one that would, I think those lyrics are just as appropriate today.
0: Would you be tempted to completely dismantle, just deconstruct one of them?
3: Well, I mean, I, I'd certainly be willing to. Like, I'm I'm open to, mm-hmm. you know, try to, to have a rule and never say no, because like unless time if limited due to, you know, affording. Time in the studio, which is again why what we're thinking about doing mm-hmm. is, we have the talent within our crew, within ourselves. Adam and I studied sound and film at college, and even without a degree, sort of education like Matt has, what he's doing with his keys now and sampling and things like that. Everybody is is improving their uh, their craft, so the ability for us to, in a way, you know, we will produce it ourselves, at least tracking it but then there's a couple of different names we've already talked about someone that adam's been working with with his uh excuse me automatics
1: oh that that wow. what's that producer's name he's phenomenal wow. he's, he's
3: king king
1: kingland getting with a guy like kingland though yeah. could could actually turn your sound so let me just take a step back for a second mm-hmm. back in the 2000s you guys were right you know you had your own sound but you also touched in uh, dialed into the, the what sector nine of the disco biscuits and the electronica, the you know almost I want to call it pre pre EDM, on the live bandway. Pre EDM. Pre dm yeah. But now here, you know, 2017, 2018, when the release comes, you have an opportunity to actually take your sound that you've had, put it out there, clean it up in a different way, and now you're you know up there with Portugal the Man. Never know. Just throwing it out there. Seth it,
2: likes to make dramatic but, statements. No, right, but, but it's, it's you not know, that I'm, it's possible.
3: I've, I've always felt that, uh, you know, I know some people, when they hear the term jam band, maybe one artist, it, may, it might pain them to describe them as that we're a jam band or that it's this. Every time you say the word jam
1: band, a guitar sure. player dies.
3: You know, and, but I think that uh, a, lot of, a lot of that happens to be that. Uh, people have these assumptions and that it implies noodling, the term noodling or lack of direction. I've, I've, I'm you, familiar with that. You know, like to, to jam is one thing, like to really act, be proactive and improvise. The only thing that all of why these bands that? have in common is that it's they improvise.
1: So why yeah. is jam consi- – you, you, jam is more improv- improvisation than noodling.
3: In my opinion, in the, in the good when it's done in well. the good but, sense, yeah. yeah.
1: But the stereotype, though, is, is endless, endless there. soloing over chord changes. Yeah, and is that it, is why you don't stereotype. The, her up, and that right. the, the listener,
3: the listener to a jam band, is presumably just some stoned acid head that just needs. It doesn't matter if what? the guitar solo went anywhere. But hey, it was thirty minutes. It was a thirty-minute solo. Yeah, and, you know, si- simply because the, something is longer or shorter or whatever it is. Those terms, at least to me, really shouldn't apply, and uh, I've always felt that we were at, at the heart of it. We're we're a rock band, an and, arena rock band, yeah. and and that you know big, anthematic kind of stuff, and like seventies Floyd. You know, if if someone asks who's a uh, an influence on me, like I could tell them. That you know, oh yeah, Paul Simon, Steely Dan. Of but course. if you turn on a P Group CD, you're going to be like, but there's also I don't hear any. Paul there's also Simon. Fela Kuti. There's sure. also Secret Machines. Yeah, it's every any oh, yeah. and everything. Like I'm I'm influenced by all sorts of things. But if I had to actually say the the one thing that you know any guitarist, I imagine their ego. They want to be kind of like I sound like only me, and it's just. <laughs> But, you know... Well, your biggest a, influence, though, was... Dave Gilmore. And well, yeah. Your bigger influence the was the Energizer. Is that funny. the mommy?
0: Have you ever heard yeah. our, the term kill mommy? Yeah. Whereas the musician that you are most influenced by at some point you have to stop listening to was that your mommy? That's a Johnny yeah. Mitchell. Oh yeah,
3: and that's you know, I'm, and the reason that you know the the lap steel that's on the stand yeah, right right. next to me is because I watched the Pulse DVD and right. the song High Hopes. Yes, and the way they <laughs> Go, I mean that's, that's why I, I was like, what is that on the stand? There? I was like it's, I know, not, it's I was, not a pedal we, steel, it's a lap steel. We talked about that, and, that Pulse DVD yeah, last time. It was, was, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's like there. I would say that's probably the most direct thing where I saw. I saw him hmm. have this tool. I loved that sound. And, and Kimock, have you seen Kimock play of with course, that? And that was good. You beat me too. You got to the next step there. Oh, and then hey, uh,
1: Rob, chill
0: out, um, I know, I'm chill sorry.
3: And then so I love Steve. You know, so I was into Pink Floyd and the you know the kind of first you know comfortably numb and the, the hits, mm-hmm. the the stairway to heaven of any band's particular catalog, right? And uh, then a friend of mine, we went down to Jazz Fest in 2000. 2001. And I got to see Paul Simon for the first time, which was amazing. That's and boy. then I went to Tipitina's and saw Steve Kimmock play. And it was a set that started up some about 1 a.m. and wrapped up at about 7.30. And when I say it went from 1 to 7-ish, I mean that they began playing and right. the music didn't stop. They didn't play a song, stop, and start another song. Like, it went... And time all, disappears. All, oh yeah, with I mean, Off K- K- Oh yeah, yeah. it's happening mean, on Jam Cruise. K- did, it's happening uh, out west at uh, Avalon. Yeah, you know that song. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, that—that's what they closed with. And I—it was—I thought my head was going to explode in the most wonderful way. I was like, how are they going to? And—and that was where I finally saw he, that he also kept a, right. a lapse deal and that. That kind of touch. He, that that he, had,
1: a, uh, he had the that bass player um, and Alfonso yeah,
3: well, Alfonso Johnson or Alfonso well, did have Mitch with Mitch Stein right? on the other guitar. Oh yeah, that's yeah. At this okay. point, that was this was, that's that the era. Man. Yeah, and he had and uh, he had a
0: little Tool influence. So it was like Wes yeah. Montgomery yeah. and mm-hmm. Django mm-hmm. Reinhardt yep. dipping their toe in Tool. Exactly, sick.
3: Yeah, oh yeah. I he, went to four
0: of those, but he, I didn't. Oh,
3: I didn't he br- he definitely brought a really cool element, and that was actually one of my another part that I noticed. You know, it's called the Steve Kimmock Band and this thing, but. I watched for this one point and, uh, and he was over there on, um, you know, he's playing his guitar too and the, the tool influence and effects that you're talking about. There was this thing going on and I realized, I looked over there, you know, and uh, and he wasn't under the spotlight, you know.
2: And, mm-hmm. He does and not care about Kim that.
3: Ock deservedly so. I mean, he's glorious, soaring guitar. But there's this thing going on over there. And it was, um, what's his name? Mitch. 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 And he's just locked into this thing, and it's, an it, uh, effect, called a ring modulator that I was familiar with, and he just locked it in, and just, like, in a zen kind of way, just doing this, like... He's the best did counterpoint did
0: guitar I've ever seen yeah. with Kimmock, and, and Kimmock plays and with my favorite musician in the world all the time. And
3: that's what I mean, is that, like, without this, you know, what Kimmock was doing, if you had taken this thing out of it... Right. I mean, it wouldn't it was, be working. Exactly. Right. And it was really... Uh, Really cool to see, and I and I've actually been uh, quite fortunate, and I've had the opportunity to play with Steve a number of times now, and like be it with everyone orchestra yeah, yeah. or on jam cruise. Has he sat in with P-, P Groove? He's never sat in with P Groove That's proper, no. But there was it's gotta happen. I think Jam Cruise six. He and I were in the jam room, and we both had our lap steals out, so oh. it was double lap stealing and. And, uh, That's a real lap dance right yeah. there. Get, stop uh, with the quips and
1: get me a recording, Seth. Uh,
3: uh, Charlie Miller has them. I'm Charlie's sure he's a man. Yeah. Even yeah. though I work,
1: even though I do work, every single Jam Cruise, Rob, you know that I, they do not give me music. Which I'm gonna, I'm gonna call Jam Cruise out on that. I think that Jam Cruise should give all of their staff access to all the music. I mean, they're working; might as well share the love. Mark, I, listen. I,
0: I, I hold Charlie Miller in just as high regard as a lot of these musicians. He has oh, so supported, cool. yeah. supported the musicians, supported the fans. Yeah. There's so many recordings I, out there. I visiting. tried to get his attention t- Charlie, at uh, Madison yeah, yeah.
3: Square Garden. At, when I got the night, I went in for Baker's Dozen. I could yeah. see him. He had but the same he, seat every show, yeah, I heard, yeah, right by the right, soundboard. Yeah, he was just right, Which is right right to the right of the soundboard Good. there. And I, but it was just
1: Charlie,
3: Charlie, Charlie. And I was just up Charlie. there. But, uh, but
1: meanwhile, that, that was a night that everyone thought they were going to do the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So everyone's yelling Charlie that yeah. night. Yeah. All right, let's go on the Wayback <laughs> Machine,
3: Seth.
0: Come on. Because you know what? It was 20 years ago this fall, was it not, Brock, that you that you met Adam Perry? In
3: September um 19th. 14th and it's 1997 kinda like, It's
0: kind of like yes where this isn't the original lineup but this is the classic lineup
3: right It it is the lineup like it, it would be i'd equate it to uh saying kind of like you know the Beatles had that guy Pete Best on drums you know so there was a band called the Beatles and right. they had this other guy on drums but really when they got together and brought Ringo into it and sat, and made this decision that we're going to do this thing, and this is what we're going to do. So, as we came time to graduate from Savannah College of Art and Design, uh, Joe Stickney, who's an amazing drummer, like uh, I thought that this was going to be where it all ended because I just couldn't imagine finding someone that I got so much out of as a as a drummer. But you know, it was college graduation, and he was at least he was just straight up. He said, "Look, I'm just not. I don't think that." <laughs> Going right out of this college into a band thing. And he ended up moving up to New York, New York and playing in a band called Bear in Heaven. Oh. So, I mean, so he's had success and he continues to create music. But real quick. And we remain friends.
0: We know nothing about that. Can you right. let us into that band? What, what was the material you were playing? So what were, we're the
3: here, venues? Here you go. Um, so I meet Adam. It's my, uh, my first night in Savannah. And he's a transfer student, so he had a year in college somewhere else and uh and I overhear him having a conversation with somebody and uh I kinda of, you know, lean into it and I was like, Oh, you what are you talking about? This thing, that and uh so musical he, thing? Yeah, music, of course. And he and I immediately got to talking and then in our dorm rooms. I had, you know, my first three trips up the elevator were like, I'm sure my roommate's parents must have been terrified. It's like a Marshall amp. you know, the, the art supplies were a small <laughs> box. Like the first things getting we did was like two guitars. Right. You know, they, I had no, no doubts that as much as I was going to school for whatever reason, I might decide that music, I was going to be doing some music. And... uh and Adam, he had uh, his amp and his bass. You know, these are in dorm rooms, we're talking about. Which are the size and, of the
1: room that we're sitting in right now, Rob. Yeah. Uh, he, much. Well, you were in college, so, I forget, but so, that's a long
3: time ago. So, for yeah, him to have his ago. equipment and, and for me to have mine, so we go into his dorm room and I looked at his CD stack and he's got a band called Clutch in his CD stack. And Which, I'm a big Clutch fan and they're not really, and at this point in particular, they were not some known entity like you had to it, it 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 speaks volumes about a person if they know just what's like the the top 10 that's peddled out for the masses or the people that care to look further and deeper for music and things like that to and know ho- a band like clutch right
0: and on a rudimentary level kind of a hard edge band but with a sense of melody and they do kind yeah. of mix up their set list and, lists and, and they, improvise and they kind of jam a little bit right. too
3: yeah they're awesome and uh And so that's, you know, I see his stack of CDs. I was like, oh, man, you like Clutch. Oh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So we played together that night, just him on, and I remember the riff that he played. I still remember it. Hmm. And I'll, you know, I'll be like, yeah, you remember this? And he's like, what is that? I was like, this is the first thing that you laid down on the bass and what I played some guitar to. So then, now we have two people that have all their equipment, their music gear in their dorm rooms, and then as luck would have it, one room directly beneath me is a guy named Joe Stickney, and he had his full drum kit in his dorm room. He brought his drums. Another sicko. Yep. Oh. And so really, it, like, that's, you know, it was never uh, put up a flyer and saying, you know, looking for someone who's into this, this, yeah, or this. Organically. It, like was, your yeah, it was all just, just coincidental and, and damn just great luck. So then now the three of us are jamming. We have a trio thing going on, and we're doing this kind of stuff. And, and um, it was all just straight improv, no vocals. There was, it, it, the idea was not really to have much in the way of singing, at least not right off. We were listening to a lot of uh, like uh, Santana and Buddy Miles, like freeform, funkified filth kind of stuff, like just really explored, stretch it out, have fun with it. Funkadelic, probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh so then Joe tells us that across the road in another dormitory there's this other guy and he has all of his stuff with him too. And his name is Brett Hinton. So now we just we have four people that all brought their equipment musically as well as the things they would need for school. But so we had what we needed to and we were playing the uh the little ballroom or you know conference room because that's the dorm that I lived in O House was Convert it was a Ramada Inn at some points to to look at it. If aside from the fact that the sign now says Oglethorpe house, Savannah college of art and design, it would have said Ramada or whatever. Stairways on the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and that's a, maybe think of something (laughs) good there too. uh, (laughs) So as far as like, you know, you you talk about the earliest gigs, like Adam and I went out to some, you know, open mic sit in type stuff and we're getting to know uh, Joe and, and actually the, the and the way we met Joe, uh, Adam and I were playing in my dorm room, and again we had this little Casio keyboard just to give us a like, you know, so we could have something. So Joe comes walking in, and he and he's like, "Do you mind if I listen?" You know, and I'm sure, yeah, hang out. So we're doing it, and then all of a sudden I hear you know, like, and he's hitting the fill button you know these little toy keyboards you just yeah. to fill in buttons yeah and he and and we go oh yeah you so you know a bit about music. it's like oh i got my whole kit downstairs it's like well how about that <laughs> and uh so we would play at house parties and stuff like that and was open. it still
0: just improv or were you doing songs at it, you know
3: it was just improv and um yeah that, that's really all it was and uh It wasn't called Perpetual Groove yet. You know, depending on who you were talking to, they might have said, "Oh, it's Brock's band or Adam's band." But just a very,
2: say, "Yeah, we're gonna see my buddies, whatever."
3: And um, so we start playing, though. And uh, out of those early improvisations, is a song called "Moda," one of our oldest songs. And we played another one last night. It's called "Echo," and they, you know. To listen to them, you can see where they would have been born out of. We were just jamming in, an A, and uh, used to Moda. I used to call it "fucking A" because it was, the whole song was right. just an A. And uh, so you better like fucking A, mm-hmm. or you're not gonna like the song. Right. And but that you know, eventually it became a song of ours. And then our sophomore year, that we, you know, it was now we gave it a name, and the name came from. We, were, we would always roll tape on even our loose jams, cassettes and stuff, just hit record, and Joe uh, had, was listening back over it, and since we didn't have any actual songs, he had to just kind of mark the time, and if he thought something, I was like, this was a nice section, we should look into more of this, and an adjective to describe one portion on a cassette tape was perpetual groove. That's you know, you know it was just a way for him to know that from minute four, eighteen to six minutes and whatever seconds. That's this part called perpetual groove. Right, and then we're like, oh, that I you know I, I thought that could be a, a that could be cool. a keeper. Yeah, I thought so. And um, you know, of course, groove. Then every now and again, you see that there's like five other bands that you know, groove collective, groove oh, yeah. armada. <clears throat> yeah, but you know that doesn't doesn't really matter too much. I don't think. Um, so we we now we call it perpetual groove and we went and there was a halloween party and it was going to be this is a big one it was going to be like several hundred people it was it was happening we was were set like up 98 yeah sophomore 98. year so it's uh 98 halloween night and um we have all of our gear set up on this you know back porch but these old southern savannah houses it was very much like a stage and a fenced in court backyard thing and, um, and I, uh, so we're getting ready to play. We didn't get to play one note and the police arrived. So we had, to, you know,
0: Did you play jailbreak?
3: Oh, we, we didn't, <laughs> didn't right we didn't play anything, but Joe's costume. He was a police officer with a pig mask Uh-oh. and he had a little toy pistol, you know, and he'd taken the orange part off of the pistol. Uh-oh. So we're standing on stage. And, uh, and this was also going to be um, uh, probably a first gig for me that I was... Uh, um, I'd taken some things to help uh, presumably expand my... Creativity? I ate some acid. <laughs> so... I don't no, know so where we got it. Yeah, so that's so Timothy Walker. So so that's what I did, and we're getting ready to do this Halloween show, and and uh, there was a group of people in costumes, two groups. There was four guys that were clowns, and four guys that were dressed as Mormons with the bicycle helmets and short sleeves with ties, <laughs> and the four of them, the eight of them, four against four, were having a Roman candle fight. Oh, blasting each other so imagine what i just told yeah. you i had done yeah so now here i am and everything's getting
2: r- you know r- 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 and, and but that, but that, that really melting.
3: happened there was really clowns and uh, and mormons uh, battling it out with roman candles so the police come out from behind us because you know the kitchens behind us were on the back porch so the officer walks out and joe didn't have his pig mask on anymore but the little toy pistol was sitting on my amp, so you know the police come out the back there, and uh, they're like, you know, this is this is over, da da da, like the fire hazard. You could do this, blah blah blah. blah. And then the one officer looks over my way, and he was like,
2: "What is that?"
3: And he's. Grabbing, going for his side piece, Yikes. and I'm I'm looking, and, I'm, and my natural response is I wanted to be like, oh, it's just, it's, you know, oh, it's uh, just the toy, and he was like, oh, at look, that, look, look. and I said, look, look, it's part of his costume, you know, whatever, whatever, but that would that would have been the first engagement where we were calling it perpetual groove. What an auspicious beginning! We didn't get to play one note. <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
0: I know other band that had the first failed Halloween gig on uh, for their start. Yeah,
3: I mean it's it funny. was it was insane, but I mean great, still just wild, wild times. And uh, but th- so yeah, ninety eight was it now had a name, and we would play at JJ Cagney's and kind of the the local the house band. The
0: that's the one that was right on the river.
3: Correct. Yeah, yeah that you know Street. the to put it in terms, it's it's like the nectars of our story paper mill nectars yeah and uh we um so we played there and then we were also very fortunate i realize now i didn't understand just how much at the time but being where in savannah you're you're two hours from charleston roughly the same from jacksonville and even barely an hour to statesboro you have three college markets that are all, if you're a full-time student, you can still go and hit the market of College of Charleston. You can go to Jacksonville, you can go to Statesboro. So as a band, we were able to go and play these engagements. And, you know, the band was starting, the name was starting to get known out there, and we, you know, pretty popular in Charleston and things like that. And when it came time to graduate, both uh, Joe and Brett said, like, you know, this is, I'm not all in to, to, like, keep on with the dream. And I wasn't sour grapes about it. I was like, I totally respect that. It's like you got ideas for your paths in life, and I wish you the best.
0: I mean, you don't want them to stay on unwillingly. I mean, that's a menu for disaster. Uh,
3: and, 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 uh, and really, uh, you know, Brett Hinton, and I don't mean this maliciously or cruelly, but it was not some real great loss you know, he he was the buddy with the keyboard, and and uh, and so I, where I thought that,
2: oh, this is just
3: terrible, Perry man. We've had, you know, so we have such an opportunity. This thing, I think, it's special, and I really wish that it wasn't falling apart. But those jam sessions ended
0: up coming in key, and well, what yeah. I love about it is that Matt McDonald and Albert Suttle... Mm-hmm. We're both active military at the time. That's right. That correct?
3: And so that's, I was hosting an open mic at Cagney's and this is classic McDonald. So he approaches me and he's just like, Hey man, it's like, I really like, you know, you, you play really
2: well. It's like, I played the keys and he goes, I was just talking with your boy over there. And I was like, yeah, Perry." He's like, Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: And, uh, he So he proceeds to tell me how he had just had a conversation with Adam about maybe it would be cool if we all got together and uh, played some Grateful Dead stuff for Jerry's, the anniversary of uh, Jerry's passing. Mm-hmm. The first live event was yeah. the anniversary of
0: Jerry's passing just a few weeks ago.
3: And then I come to find out later that Matt comes up to Perry um, and he goes he's like hey I was just talking with your boy <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he and I were saying it might be this you know cool uh, to do this yeah. thing about you know Jerry's passing and stuff So, but we only find that out later because you yeah. you're not going to think to Rabbit. vet or try to corroborate sure. he's like do, were you really talking to him about doing this let's and break it, down the timeline like,
2: he told me that you did it. he, well, said, he that that you that. said that you said that he said that you said yeah you know oh,
3: what I, I know. mean that that kind of stuff so uh, <laughs> yeah
1: it happens to Rob and I all
3: the time but, you know Thank, thank God that he did. And He and Albert were both stationed at Fort Stewart. And, uh, and so that was the common ground that.
0: But were you worried that like every time he hit a wrong note, they'd ask you to drop and give him 20 or something? Like that? <laughs> was there any reservations? Yeah, no, that would have uh, been Albert. I, I would have no, done that.
3: I, <laughs> I would, no, nothing like that. I was, I mean, you know, if you hear that someone's like, well, we're both in the Army band. And I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, I couldn't be less military. Material, <laughs> but the, you know the fact that he is talking about doing Grateful Dead kind of stuff I mean, like I mean you know obviously it seemed cool enough and it wasn't some sort of like uh, you can't handle the truth uh, men of honor square. Uh, but it must have
1: helped you though, like when you went back home and it's like, hey, well, Dad, I'm actually playing with some military men.
3: Oh, and uh, well, and I I still say this to this day. I think that when you talk about Albert is the drummer, so that's, now we have Matt McDonald and Albert Suttle, and this was only two weeks after the other two guys, like, we're, we're not sticking around, we're gonna do different things, so for all of two weeks I was like, I guess that's it Da-da-da. but once again, never had to nail up a, a flyer and saying, you know, we're looking for this or this, like, you know, it just Matt brought Albert there, and we, it was just like that, and then of course we had to start rehearsing some stuff for the uh, for the show, the Dead, uh, the Jerry Show, and uh, and then we were already writing three weeks and other Pete Group material, mm. and so it got to a point where it was kind of like, man, it's kind of a shame that we committed to learning all this Grateful Dead stuff because we really could just get right to writing material because we were already doing it. We were, right. we were writing these songs, and and so the there's you know. Two portions of that. There's the all Jerry Garcia dead stuff and then and then very early, early versions of Three Weeks and Decepticon Structure and Teakwood. Um no Teakwood didn't exist yet. Oh. It, yeah. This was pre Teakwood. And um but and we had you know, material that was written with Joe and Brett in the band was like playground. That's a really old older song, but a goodie. Um green tea and uh and whatever else, do we need to? It's, do, uh, it's I don't a, have well, headphones on. Yeah, no. We,
1: there, there's some. We're, we are backstage, so that that ambiance will be there. Rob always loves that
2: ambiance. Lousy,
3: inconsiderate jerks.
0: <laughs> I think you were at one point alluding to how Albert's military training maybe is part of what makes him a reliable.
3: Well, well it, where we are in the spectrum of things, so you have Albert, who's literal like uh, drum uh, marching band, drum corps, army band. He's very, you know... And, you know, sometimes maybe even to a point where almost a little too stiff. And then I, on the other end of the spectrum, might have certainly been too much of a space cadet, not, you know, in the oh, I'm just exploring, but uh, not uh, using that as uh, some avoidance of saying, like, oh, we don't need to get too craft. You know, it's supposed (laughs) to be rock and roll. It's supposed to be this. So I'd like to think that in a way that we've all pulled our, the other towards a way, like, you know, get a little bit more humanity in his playing instead of straight, like, thinking just in terms of, you know, you know four-bar phrase and this time signature to that time signature. But when I talk to him, I, I try to uh, talk in terms of emotional context of, like, you know, this part, think of the song, like, this is where, like, a, a wave of water cool water goes through the music and you know explain it to him in that terms and then there could be other things where I didn't have the vocabulary to to say what I might have wanted in a song I was like you know I just I want it to be more instead of like do do it needed to be like mm, doo, doo. So was, and then he could say to Matt it's like more emphasis on the downbeat so we're just kind of like learning where the yeah, other is yeah, coming yeah. from and then you know Matt and Adam of course are they're in that spectrum as well, but uh, I think Albert and I are probably the most extreme examples of both schools of thought, school of thought and school dropout of thought. <laughs> that would be mine. And you guys don't you don't always know where or how long you're going to improvise, right? Oh yeah, not at all. I mean, and that again, this is where it comes to uh, you know, I might get carried out of myself so or go so deep and. A jam that I'm lose track of time and don't really you know and it's, you know it can go one way or the other. Like if, some nights, you know, if you're a little tired or whatever, and your thinking is like, okay, you know, we'll get up there, we'll, we'll get this show done, then we can get some rest and whatever. And then and then uh so you get up there and you're like, oh yeah, surely that was that must have been 15 minutes, right? Or it's like you know, it must be we were right along. And then he was like, you telling me that that was only. Hmm. Seven minutes, like being aware, keeping time and being aware of the time when, you know, to really open yourself up to really take it out for a spin in, as far as improvising is concerned. For so that's, you know, we've, we've all learned together in, uh, as far as the writing part of stuff, like writing the songs and things like that. And, you know, and Adam, like he, you know, he has a lot of lyric ideas have come from him and I might have ultimately uh, given the input to say like hey, what if we flip it or you know the phrasing of it and or maybe change the wording somewhat but like you know he can, he wrote the words for Andromeda you know if it's been with love the things that you've done and uh, I don't know there's just there's a nice balance between us I think and, um, and everyone brings you know there's things that Matt brings to the table that make uh, that I know now that in writing a song that his ability to uh create tone colors and samples and sequencing and stuff like that the um it really the possibilities are all like I don't think now that oh we could, we could do this song what a neat idea that would be like we're really able to pull a lot of things off because of how capable everybody is in their
0: but one or thing that struck thing. me about
3: you immediately, and, and,
0: and I knew it when I first heard it, I knew I was like, I'm going to remember this riff mm-hmm. forever. And it's true. Of all these big bands that I listen to in this genre, one of the most distinctive riffs is that three-week. that.
2: Yep.
3: Yeah. When did you come up with that? And, you know, I had I couldn't tell you how long that riff was stuck in my head. And when I say stuck, it's because... I it, it it hadn't manifested through my fingers yet. I hadn't written the resolve mm-hmm. to end it. It was just and it uh, it was just in there up Would you there say up there it was there, kind of perpetual there. in your head yes <laughs> yeah. indeed no, and, it's infectious
0: and it also just lends itself to embellishment yeah. well that's, and, that's the emotional side of the band in my
3: right, opinion then, that, that's more the, the, the lyrics to it um, was be like and again this comes to where you know when you're 15 and 16 right. you're writing songs about partying with your buddies or whatever and then I, you know, I, I so I had a breakup. You know, at this point, I, everything was going right along to the way I. This you is thought my, you had it made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and So like I, I met the, you know, you go to college, and that's where you meet the girl you're going to marry. That's the story. That's how. That's how it's supposed to go. And but she knew, and and uh, that she had a, an idea for. Her, same as the guys, Joe and Brett knew that they had an idea for where they were going, and where this young lady. She was just like, "Yeah, I just don't think it's working, but I was devastated, of course, and you know in in hindsight and compared to other I gave you my pick. Uh, other ones you know I, uh sorry, I right? went down to Swanee, yeah. and it was my twenty first birthday september twenty third and I saw it was the other ones. Uh, I had yeah. Bruce Hornsby, Steve Kimmock. It was everybody but Phil, yeah. and
0: that was Ziggy Marley. Open yeah, exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yep. I was there. So my 20- they had a big knot
0: fade away in Mona and, yeah. yeah. and Mona yeah. and all that, and
3: the uh, lightning storm and all that. And so my twenty first birthday, and after the show is over, I'm uh, I'm hanging out at the campsite, and uh, and people maybe they'll be able to figure out what I mean by this, but someone comes walking up, and a friend of mine and they literally say "It's like, like man it you know why are you why are you laying down and i'm like it beats standing up
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and oh, and it's oh, such oh. an
3: obvious answer it's like you know why are you laying down and I was like well i mean it's absolutely comfortable i'm sitting here looking at the stars right. and so that line is like you know why are you laying down it's like it beats beats standing and uh so the the lyrical content it's all like you know this thing didn't work out so now I'm I'm really getting a bit more wild than I'd ever been and uh, very literal it had been three weeks of crashing on couches or playing through and not sleeping much at all you know just you know
2: oh, break up wild party time
3: whatever and, and I think that's been one thing to uh, to perpetual groove is that we have a, a thing of where the the, the melody and what the actual lyrical content are like the if you just heard only the riff of three weeks it sounds da, 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 you know kind of a you know, happy little happy little riff and well, then but then the lyrics are talking about you know you know razor blades and lose i lost the thing i thought i had the thing that made me think i had it made right. and and so i've I've always felt that that uh that has kind of worked nice to our credit. Quite different than what I would imagine people presume in a jam band sense and this is not knocking it or disliking it it's but just your angle. They, they tend to uh, uh, summon a lot of bands you know kind of like you know fish and mo and and they they do things that are phonetic they're fun you're like
2: I am a pinball machine I can't ping pong poo cure. or I food. often
0: think the lyrics are to offset intricate music. Kind of a Zappa thing, yeah. The music's so intricate that the to, to make it more palatable, the lyrics are nonsensical. Exactly because if you have intricate lyrics and intricate music,
3: it can be too right. much. Right, but for me, I just and even and you can still hear it in the earlier songs. Like you know, we're talking "Falling Asleep to the Breeze" is a song about monkeys and silliness. And again, this is nineteen to 20, 21 year olds who still right. don't have a lot of life experience to draw from. And it's not that ever, since that time, all of a sudden, the only thing I write about or have to be profound or whatever else It's just You have more um, wisdom I, from which to draw I, Yeah and and you know for better or worse But I, I've felt that That's been to our credit As a band is that I, I've always Felt that our our Lyrical content Is, uh, is pretty fearless Like usually I, if I'm writing something And I feel like I'm uh, and, I, and I don't Mean this in a sense of that this is too Literal but also, that it, if it's disingenuous or Trite. like kid kid gloves kind of thing, like someone else might think to themselves, like, you know, but this, you're putting yourself out there by this, like, you know, people are going to know that you're hurting or that you felt this kind of way or about that. But that's, that's never been a concern of mine. I've, I've always felt it's, and it's always been for the better, you know, uh, when i was starting with my legal troubles and drug court and everything i was pretty open about it on facebook and such and my dad said he goes, you know you really uh need to be more careful you shouldn't be putting all this out there and letting people all know this stuff
1: that's your dad voice there
3: yeah i was like, yeah. and if you were my son
0: i might say the same thing sure
3: and oh yeah it's, it's he's not bad for i mean just but to him it, it's more about he's thinking in terms of you know if you go to get a job, and you know he's not thinking that like I know what I want to do with my life, and right. I don't foresee any future prospect that there being some problem about my having been open and honest, and like,
1: rock, you can't come into this venue this evening, yeah uh,
3: and you know, and 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 that, that same kind of honesty and willingness to kind of put myself out there. And some people might still say, it's like, maybe you should keep a little bit, you know, don't put yourself so out there. But, you know, that I didn't.
0: Willingness to be vulnerable and, yeah. informs your lyrical approach. Yeah. As well. And then
3: it also like in this in the drug court context, you know, I got messages from people that, you know, they were either. Uh, giving their support to me and encouragement. It's like, man, good job. Stick with it. It's And then other times someone else said, hey, you know, I know that you are in the program or you have experience with it. I'm facing some trouble coming up. What are your thoughts? You know, it put it in the position that people felt they could talk to me, you know, be it to express support for me mm-hmm. or want my input on experience or things like that and I just can't see how anything bad could come from that letting people know that you know and and also it might even help like if someone was out there feeling some sort of guilt and shame about themselves that if they think to themselves like uh, that it can happen to anybody you know you you, the best the best of us that oh this guy's in a band he should have it made What what kind of problems could he have you start to think that well it's so, like, you know, maybe I'm not this degenerate loser and scum, and I just can't get it together, that sometimes things just happen mm-hmm. in people's The important, The important thing is to stuff, be able you know? to come
1: out of that, and that's, a lot of musicians are not able to. So I think it's important that, that you did speak out on that time and, and that you speak out currently, because there's a lot... It's, it's really hard when the lifestyle... When you hit the road and that becomes your lifestyle... And True, your well, fans they, are your friends, and that becomes the party, and the party becomes yeah. your life, etc. But a little be,
0: ahead of ourselves, though. Let, well, let's 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 move up to that. Like, yeah. the, was the fact that half the guys were military? Were you more of a psychedelic band? Because the military tests blood, so you can't smoke weed, but you can do acid because they don't test hair. So, so we doing well, a lot
3: I, I, I would I would not speak to on um, anybody else's thing. They like, they were they were working it and maintaining their their Military careers and I didn't playing mean to their music. Anywhere, the um, uh, no, no, no. I'm just like you know. <laughs> I keep it to. But you know, I, I, I was uh, plenty open to and enthusiastically so about exploring any number of things to.
1: As to, was your fan base,
3: you know, and it's an art college, you know, and you know, and artists in general. There's, you know, it's no shocking thing that, yeah, yeah that. It, you know, not because it, it wasn't great. Because the guy was on this or took this or took that. The but, water,
1: the beer was in the know, water were green on other days than St. Uh, Patty's Day. No,
0: but you're it. saying it just enhances it. It's not yeah. all about that. And, just, you know, and
3: for me, like I've, when I was in high school, I liked uh, like 311 and Pantera and Deftones. I liked heavier stuff. Tool. That's what I was into. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, I I'd heard of Fish. You know, heard this a live one CD and of course I know Bob Marley and I knew of The Grateful Dead but my knowledge was really to kind of uh, skeletons from the closet the one CD that was you know and then uh
1: speaking of closet he was actually a Hootie and the Blowfish fan in the closet though
3: uh, I wasn't a fan of the Hootie and the Fish, particularly. But before we
0: but go on, you would you would take a slant like Metallica. You liked the picking
3: approach, yeah. But
0: mm-hmm. then you pulled the distortion out of it, and that's a core part of the groove sound. just exactly. Around the same yeah. time, yeah. And that's a
3: psychedelic thought, sure. Maybe. And, and I and I liked you know Pink Floyd as well and this stuff. And then I get to school, and I think that you know I didn't really uh, dabble. I, I can say straight up, there were things that I just didn't do while still living at home because I, it was unknown to me and i didn't have some other friend that could tell oh no it's like this is okay like the fear that i might have to encounter my dad or whoever so i just never did it because i i one thing i felt pretty sure about is that that you don't want to dive into something that has this potential uh, at least you know you do, from what anyone will tell you, you watch the Doors movie. Are you going to go <laughs> walking and talking to a an Indian that's not really there? Not necessarily. But I wasn't willing to to go into that. I wanted the experience. I I don't think there was ever a question of would I try certain things, and and also in the pursuit of the creativity aspect of it. Right. Initially, and when I got to Savannah College, you know, far enough away where I knew. No parent, no friend of my parent was going to see you know, Oh, I saw our son the other day. He was cutting school, and his eyes looked like little black basketballs, you know, and so... Why I, are we in
0: the timeline as far as coming to Atlanta this, right now?
3: Oh, to Savannah. This would be moving, moving from Virginia to Savannah. Sure. So moving... Away from home, and it, try. And I also, I'm from a small town. In my town, I'm Gary Butler's son. I'm Kelly's. You know, every teacher I had was like, "Oh, you must be Aaron's brother." or I bought a car from your grandfather. I wanted to go somewhere and figure out who I am as a person, where I'm not someone's son or someone's this or someone's sure. that. Sure. And and that went hand in hand with feeling uh, free enough to explore in some of these things. So yeah, I was uh there were a lot of a lot of uh, uh shrooms and LSD and things like that and um and uh we played on some pressies a little bit later into the thing, but it's the, the That's so, a SSC thing. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, pre-molly. Ca- okay. Call it the if we want to so we can be clear on the uh, the errors here so if you call it the the scad era lineup is joe brett adam and myself right. doing gigs in charleston statesboro jacksonville jacksonville kind of stuff and then we graduate from school and very quickly meet matt and albert and we're hitting it off and and uh and albert asked me at one point he goes you know so do you is this something you really think uh you know you believe in this thing you think this could be something I was like with all my heart I do
0: when did that lineup start playing Atlanta
3: um we uh, two thousand one after so graduation, so we, yeah, okay. so we started moving and, and playing at Jake's Roadhouse and met. It was
1: the, Roadhouse
0: at the time,
3: yeah, right? Or yeah, was it Toadhouse? It was yeah. Roadhouse. Roadhouse and first. Then the, Dun, the Dunham's were still doing their broadcast on whatever night Z93 of the week it was,
0: Sunday night, which yeah. they gave a lot of bands their start. They were oh, they made they they. I mean, on a personal level, not the best thing, but the big picture is the
3: scene, and they were yeah, huge. They, they should yeah. They should we would never, have these
0: weekly gigs first yeah. at the Brandy House. It they, would they, be they, wrong
3: to not talk about. Their their importance of
0: and they would broadcast live on yeah. Sunday nights fifty thousand watts yeah and, and that, let you play
3: in the in the Atlanta while. area that's a that's a big deal like yes. I don't think I realized it at the time that just exactly how much it was getting it out there keep in mind we're this we're probably one of the very last eras where mm-hmm. there was not any social media like you know it, not actually cell phones even like the the guy at the bar was oh that's the guy with the cell phone it wasn't that everyone has them it was like the, mm-hmm. the Nokia cell phone guy of so, that was right. it yeah, yeah. and that, even message that yeah, And flyers message flyers and uh, mail, mailing lists physically right. like but snail really, mail what,
1: to me what i notice about the effect of that what you, what you're talking about the reach isn't so much in your actual like. It, it came a little later when the kids that were. I was like, why is why is why is Perpetual Group playing the Variety Playhouse? And the kids are all like eighteen, mm-hmm. or seventeen, or sixteen. They're all high school kids for a 200. moment. And I was like, why are there so many kids? Well, I- well the thing is, is that these kids were 12, 11, you know, thirteen. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had older siblings, but they were listening to you guys on the radio. So that you had that you had this fan base that wasn't even able to see you yet and also ben
0: ferguson would make those cds and that and that's and
3: and then i should very much give that credit too is that you know so now we're at this point we have the very capable four of us and we're writing strong material things are good and it's exciting and then i met ben ferguson And he came up and he was talking to me, and he was saying, "You know, man, where was this?" uh, In Savannah, like ninety nine, coming to Cagney's. Yeah, no, it would have been two thousand one. Wow. Okay. And now he and our lighting designer Jason Huffer—that he's who brought Huffer into the picture—and he had gone to Scad before. So when he was passing through, I think on his way to go to Big Cypress, actually, he stopped off at Cagney's. Because he knew Vince, the guy there, and Vince was like, "Hey, check these guys out. These this the local guys, at what they're doing." And Ben was one of the first person to kind of come up to me, and you know, I was kind of, like, you know, an agent. Why do you need an agent? This and this, and he goes, he says, "Now think about it, man. Like, you know, you should be focused on this part, this right. part, and this part." And he goes, "And I've got these ideas." We, you know, we take these CDs and you turn the CD into a flyer. Exactly. We have a, a freestanding burner so you could burn seven CDs at a, at a time and print out the labels they, so they are a sample of the music, a flyer for upcoming shows. And, and a
0: demonstration and, of confidence. Exactly.
3: Here's what we do. Yep. Just put it on and, you'll, and we'll see you at the show. And so really, I mean, he he really kind of came in with uh, an added fire and an idea of, uh like, I've never been the best at being a a goal-oriented person to bring it together. I'm just kind of like, you know, hey, we're getting free pitchers of beer versus, like, play for free beer. (laughs) And then it's like, you know, oh, you're going to pay me for this? I can't believe it. Then it starts to deal with a little more pay, and you're kind of like... You know, I, I'm the world's worst negotiator on my own behalf. Like, I I feel guilty, right? I, you know, and I'm not feeling. really guilty, but I like, do, you just but want to at get the over same it time, it's on. like I just I love to to play my music, and then when you start dealing in terms of price negotiation, that just seems very at odds to me. Of like, you know, how do you put a, a number on that? But then you have to start thinking. It was like, well, we want to bring you a great light show. We want to bring you this to bring you a standard of quality. Is going to require resources to do that, and that's why you Which, do. These as Seth days. pointed
0: out in our phone interview, that's something you guys did right from the start: was take your money and reinvest it right into the yep. production, into the product.
3: Yep, and that's. I actually took. I was very, very blessed. My grandmother paid for my college for me. So I, but I also had a college savings that never got used. So basically, that was my capital. I bought the four lights for you know Jason Huffer. Came in and, and Ben was like this is guy Huffer, he's great, brilliant, and uh, you know he's interested in maybe doing this or that. And lights is you know he didn't come in and say I want to be your lighting designer. He's just that you know in my opinion brilliant of a guy. I'll gush on 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 Huffer all day, man, because he's and I think that's another thing that, too that was real helpful to us that a band of our status, which is a relatively unknown come in with a very professional like we cared about the sound quality, we cared about the lighting we cared about it being uh, you know, a a product a show.
0: Although it could get humorous because at first they were a regional band and they start blowing up, so they're playing big rooms in the south, then you'd go to other parts of the country and you'd be like four guys surrounded by lights Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that you know you had to find out yeah. is that a tricky time in your career yeah. when you have such adulation at home I, and then you go out and you're just uh, a...
3: I, I guess it depends on how you view it like you know if you if you're the big fish in a small pond kind of thing or you know I've I've always at least tried to say that you know 10 people 100 people a 1000 10000 people I would like to think that ultimately what I deliver is the same yeah uh, it, it's not dependent on like it's like if we if i were to walk out from this room and we're done with this interview and they say it, it's like man we just we we only sold you know it's, the room's half full i'm not gonna go out there and give a a half full crowd but if it was show. half empty everyone's fucked yeah oh yeah but I'm not I'm not my playing is not going to be dependent right. on or some sort of resentment. Well, that, I can vouch why, for that though. Why aren't we known or whatever. Well, I it's can like vouch a, for
1: that. You came through rolling through Tallahassee and, and you guys played uh the uh, Irish pub, which again it was a tiny room where they brought in their lights and it, it was an Irish pub. It was a college bar that I was able to negotiate doing concerts at. And they I mean, there was no reason to bring in lights but you guys wanted to provide a show at a certain quality. I made sure we had quality sound, not just a stick PA, but, you know, an actual PA. Yeah. We really put put in something there. But, it, you know, it...
0: And then their product, too, was high quality. The first CD Absolutely. was excellent. Sweet, I believe it was Anadol, And I still listen to it and love it. And then you mm-hmm. put out two at um, uh, Tree Sound. Mm-hmm. Um, working, I mean, how did you get to work with Robert so soon?
3: That, um, I think it was really just, again, just coincidental luck that you know tree sound and paul that, that owns tree sound there that for have you know he has the facilities to to have the big big money people like any you you name it they've been in there and uh you know like uh, you're, you're missing
1: the you're missing the missing someone's name though because it wasn't just Paul. Paul facilitated having the space and Paul also T. having yes. Paul and, yes with Tree Sound and having the artists and such producers there. Mm-hmm. But the guy that got him, I think, was Chad Denny, because Chad was yep. had his office, his booking agency was with Deggy at the time, and he was in his office, and so he was able to socialize with all these guys, and he was always, "Hey, buddy," and, yeah. and I, ben, I, I could be wrong, hey, but, hey, hey, but you know, we yeah. gotta check out these band P Group. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Oh, and, and again, each each thing, like, you know, it, we could be down here for hours for me to try to remember each person that mm. really deserves a mention, and, and Chad is with us today. You know, he's still, still our representative, yeah. Still, and you guys and, have
1: been very loyal to Chad. I mean, Chad's yeah, he obviously does his job for you, yeah, but, he, I mean. he cares. He cares. So you're
0: like a rising band, and yeah. everything's going well, and the party's going on. Sure. Like, when does it turn the corner? When does the party start to become ugly, you think, in your eye? Um...
3: Um, when does it turn a corner?
0: Was it a gradual thing? Like, oh, what, very what were much. Very much
3: so. Like, you know, and I think that I've always kind of had this thought that uh you know, this is this is what guys in rock bands do. So and also you, you kinda lose your relative uh notions like if all if you spend primarily all of your time out at uh, nightclubs you're going to come across things culturally that, and you start to think that's the norm. And right. it's really, it's not as much as you might want to think it is. So, like, the, the best description I can think of is that, you know, I would, I, I played hard and I partied hard. And, and I would, you know, so, like, Wednesday night, you play in Alabama somewhere. And someone comes out, and they've worked hard all week or whatever, and they've been saving up for this one night to go out and have a good time Wednesday night. And then Thursday morning, they nurse, maybe their hangover or whatever, and then they get back to business. They get back to work, functioning, keeping it together. Now, meanwhile, we've gone on to the next town on Thursday night where there's a different person who said, I've been waiting all week to come out and cut loose on Thursday night. So I was keeping pace with people that were having their big blowout right. the one night of the week, but I wasn't uh, discerning of this or that. Yourself. I just i just was keeping pace, like just right, so party party a- party. And you were able
1: to though too, which is yeah. not, not everyone can. But you mean, you you I referenced the Energizer Bunny before, but you kept going and going and going yeah. and going.
3: Yeah, and I think sometimes that might you know not maybe it wasn't great that i in my opinion uh, pretty decent functioning playing under like the man it's like how could we like i know uh, someone will say like i know how we were feeling down there it's like that We we took the same thing it's like we don't know i don't know how you do that on stage <laughs> you know the actual guitar playing uh is just really deeply ingrained and feels as natural as talking like we're improvising right now we're talking to each other and it's just like humming hmm. but through my fingers it's you know, funny,
1: I, it's funny you say humming because that's something that i always found that um, you could do that was one thing that was unique for your band is that you can hum to the music yeah uh, just a yeah. side yeah. note that's there the melodical content a lot of content but uh, what you said though about the party mm-hmm. about you know every night the blow up you know mm-hmm. how as a, do you feel like that's something that for a musician that you just gotta go through or is it something that you sh- that younger musicians should know i mean be aware
3: I, of? I i oh, i think certainly be aware and be cautious of it and uh you know and it if you have this idea that you know Keith Richards and these people that are infamous and notorious for their you know Uh, Keith Moon and you know all the the people known to be wild and it's kind of funny it's like if you watch the movie The Doors you know when you're 16 you're kind of like yeah Jim Morrison so cool man like he was this rebel and doing this thing. And then after you've worked in the business and in a band for many, many years, you watch that movie again, and, and you're kind of like, you know, man, Jim Morris, he was kind of a, a jerk, man. Yeah. These guys are trying to just get things to happen. It's like, how would I feel if we went into a studio and any one of the guys came in and it's like, you know, a pale reason hides the infinite from us and starts throwing TVs around and stuff. Like, no. the, You know. No. But, uh, Can't happen. you know, I was not much for... uh Forever declining offers on whatever the party favors might be, and more likely, I would say like, oh, I'd like some more of that, more of that. But you Did know, you
0: stop writing at some point. Was that a slap in the face? Like stop writing, writing, composing?
3: Oh no no no! no so that's, all
0: through it, you were composing. Yeah,
3: I've always it's even like that. That's the thing that I go to, and it, it's my the one comfort I have that no matter what's going on is that the guitar is never going to tell me it's too busy to spend time with me or, you know, writing thoughts on paper and stuff like that. And really the, the drugs and partying in general, it didn't really, I wouldn't say it took like a dark turn. Now recordings would be perfect evidence that it certainly affected the performance in particular my singing i can tell and this had mostly to do not with any hollywood narcotics but just with with alcohol so it's like i could still play the guitar excuse me but singing when, when you drink you know alcohol is a depressant so it depresses your respiratory and you know so when you're singing and you need muscle and breathing control so, I can hear recordings where, like the guitar I'm still you know happy with it, and I was like, "Yeah, that's real solid, and then all of a sudden, you hear me come, in. it's like, you know now when you hear
0: that, are you glad that you're apart from that, or are you like can kind I of, barely listen to it oh and- uh, well,
3: I'm a little of both, I mean, you know it's like no one likes to." you know you can look at a yearbook photo and see the awkwardness and have the humor and and the sweet nostalgia for what it is but at the same time you're not going to blow it up and put it over the mantle <laughs> <at> <laughs> Unless you, you know, your you know what and I mean? you just
1: want to fuck with her <laughs> yeah, well yeah
3: there, there are some reasons i guess yeah. but you know what i mean so it's i use it as a, a a way to look at my growth and hopeful or hopeful growth and as a basis of comparison and a way to you know hold myself accountable and and Think about where i where I've been and Well,
0: where. one of the things that's tough about addiction is that it's often coupled with a nastiness and a suspiciousness Yeah, so like let's say someone's listening who's in the band and they have a member who's going through what you went through mm-hmm. How should the other bands members approach that in a way that's respectful and not gonna poke you know, the bear, I, But it's not gonna be too gentle I, and it won't I tell you that
3: that's uh, it's a great question and I'm not really sure that that's even possible to answer because I've had now in my life, there's, you know, I've thought that there have been some friends that continued to struggle and people close to me that have had issues. Not quite like what I was having, but I felt that I was in a position where I could say, like, you know, if I could at least say, like, look, you know, I've, I've been where you are. I know how you're feeling and, you know. To, the first thing is to try to remove the guilt and shame from it and same is with the lyrics the things I write about It's like putting it all out. There's that you know to be if you're vulnerable and you let it out there Maybe one person sitting at home and they they hear this these lyrics and uh, They they maybe they get whatever small bit of comfort in knowing that they're not alone in their loneliness to what thing. extent do you
0: think it was a disease for you, and to what extent do you think it was your weakness?
3: Um, as far as the disease concept, I have a, a how I view it is, it's a. I think I understand why, in a therapeutic sense, they have to start off across the board and say you're an addict is an addict is an addict. Like you know, if you if you that one drink will lead to this, lead to yeah. this, lead to this and in my experience thus far i've come to equate it more as a food allergy so like i think that some people are predisposed to maybe certain drugs are a bigger kryptonite or the only kryptonite then so it's like you know i'm on the the marijuana maintenance program right now it's like i wouldn't tell you right now that i am abstinent sober and for a few reasons one is the people that choose that path deserve the utmost respect because it is it's it's difficult I've done it you know I've, you know a year and a half I with absolutely nothing but uh, you know I'm I'm I still I smoke and I think that uh, that that marijuana doesn't even belong in the conversation when you're talking about these things like the opiate epidemic and this kind of stuff I think actually that uh, not only to, if it is in the conversation it should be addressed as a way to therapy to get people off of it. I think if you know if people could have access to to medical good marijuana and not feel bad about it I really really believe that it could be true medicine even in that sense. Not a gateway to these other terrible drugs but it you know an alternative certainly better than say like methadone or suboxone which is just another nature of narcotic to get people off of these things and um so i and because i've i've i puff you know i smoke a pen i'll do whatever and that i do that and it doesn't lead me into some spiral i'm not waking up in a ditch or, you know, pawning things, you know, needle marks all over my arms. It, one thing, you know, maybe it's the exception, or maybe it's just such a subjective thing for people that, you know, there's no way to say it's like, you're, you're, uh, quite to your question of like, what, I, what would you say if people needed to approach somebody about it? It's always a case-by-case basis, and depending on how far gone someone might be, I needed drug court, and they're... The most strict of guidelines and that meant I couldn't even have NyQuil because that could throw off the drug screens and it had 10% alcohol in it like I needed at least a year of a complete hard reset to get all these things out and get my brain chemistry back
0: what was that like the first couple months of that that's detox
3: right yeah oh yeah I mean you know it depends detox in one way it you know if you're addressing a specific drug there's the physical dependency and when if you feel sick without it and that's you know or if someone's on heroin or on pills or whatever that that's the big part of things it's not that somebody just wants to continue to stay high that's that's where it turns dark is that like you take one thing because it might be a stimulant and leads to productivity or expanding in arts you know that kind of way but then the the thing with things like uh painkillers and other ones that deal with the uh, emotional stuff, like uh, the Xanax kind of things. That what you're really doing is you're you're just rewiring your brain. Right. And but so the, to the food allergy point is that if you tell me I'm allergic to peanuts, I'm not going to eat a Snickers bar anymore because I know that there's peanuts in it. But I'll still eat a Kit Kat or a Milky Way because <laughs> the chocolate wasn't exactly the problem i think that some people are just kind of like you know maybe one person's really allergic to poison ivy one person isn't one person's allergic to peanuts but the only way you can find out what your particular allergy is is you'd have to do a very hard discipline reset and be full abstinent before you i think you could even arrive at these conclusions And, and it wouldn't surprise me if after people hear what i'm saying here they might uh Disagree with me completely, but Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's not an exact science. But what I do know is that I'm I can occasionally have a a a bomb I can puff, and so far I haven't found it. Leading me to something of like Sounds more like more moderation right, but in, but in in some people's theories, they would say that because I was where I was that i that that just didn't exist as an option to me anymore, mm-hmm. and to me that the thought of like that you can just never some ever people, do though, this again certainly that is right, and that's true. what I mean That it's like it's not an exact science at all, mm-hmm. so I feel and that we're certainly not experts yeah and <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm, I'm guessing, guessing. Yeah. I need to know this sure. when you
0: were at your worst. Where did the glimmers of hope come from?
3: Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Other than your I, guitar, I, I mean, I know that, I might actually say that, it, that it's... Uh, I might actually say that it, you know, I might have felt pretty hopeless for a while. And um, that, you know, and I really certainly uh, I felt like... The, it was the end all that when the band was breaking apart and i going back home remember I moved away from home where I didn't have to be Gary Butler's son or anybody's this or that and here I am like I've traveled the world I'm this musician and then now right back I'm there. coming home to re- right try to there. pull my life together then I get arrested and have to go to drug court which and I'll say that whole bit I'm sure that saved my life because without the, that sort of threat of the repercussions, mm-hmm. I don't think anything was going to rein me in, because obviously the losing the van, I didn't have the respect or the capacity to acknowledge how special and sacred it really is, and the gratitude for it.
0: How much do your parents understand just exactly what's going on with the Perpetual Groove, with the, the, and how much people pay attention to your music, and did that help at all, that coupled with this, is this success? No, no not at all. So you went back just the same old son...
3: Actually, my grandmother said it best. She said, "You know what?" Uh, she says, "We don't, we don't need uh, perpetual groove, Brock." She goes, "We just want Brock to be able to come home and and be Brock." And, well said, Grandma. And yeah, and that Nana, she put it in those terms, and that that was probably one of the there's there's your hope. I needed hope and encouragement from external things, and that kind of support of someone that you know doesn't enable, but also just won't give up on you and and that i think that's the biggest thing it's like i know how it how angry it might make these uh, say if we're talking in the sense of a band and they might have a person that they're worried about that uh that all and as with just about anything the first type of approach should be one of uh of empathy and compassion Because then, you know, if you establish that right off the bat and make people, make them know and aware that they can be comfortable to talk to you about what's going on with them. That's Big.
0: easily said. Like I said, yeah. a lot of times there's a lot of nastiness, anger, oh, yeah. suspicion, and that's a wall. Not only do you have to try to help these people, but they're putting yeah. up these walls. And, and at the
3: same time, these people that care, they're also angry because for the right. most part, anyone that's real close to someone that's in the throes of addiction, yeah. the that's addict, right. they're abusing them to some extent. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. the, like, you know if, are they stealing the family heirlooms and pawning them? Not necessarily, but, you know, if you're asking somebody for 20 bucks for gas money or whatever and and even if you spend that 20 on gas the reason you needed that 20 is because you spent the other 20 that you should have spent on gas on something else so you know depends on how much you want to split hairs and focus on these things but though you know to go from frustration and also caring and how do you reconcile these things Where like i'm so mad at you and i don't understand like you know you're you seem to have so much going for you. You're an, a, a good person. I believe that. You're a good person. Why are you um, seem intent on this uh, slow self-destruction to oblivion kind of path? So I understand the, the anger and frustration from the other side of but people. The
0: flip side of that, though, is also, uh, this. I'm always told yeah. deadheads this about Garcia. The same thing that pushed him to play blow your mind on Morning Dew or to create these songs, that's the same person that's pushing them to get addicted to this stuff. So you can't cherry pick your humans. You have to take the whole human as they are.
3: Yeah, and I, I agree with you there. And, and, um, but I, and I just think that, it, the, and this goes even into how it's addressed culturally, that you have these people like Jeff Sessions that would, would have you think that this is some flaw in a person that they're just a rotten junkie. And why it 's becoming more in, instead of this Hollywood idea of that it's it 's just the heroin junkie, and they are the the homeless thief, and then you have the good people and the bad people, but now, with this mix of pharmaceuticals in there that you know someone goes to see dr Bob and you 'll see this you go to Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, and when someone will go up and they get their chip because and again, this comes back to my food allergy thing is that someone say they suffer they're an alcoholic to the bone booze is the thing when it gets in their brain that's what makes them have their allergic reaction and really explode but yet they still might be taking uh, valium and other stuff from a doctor because doctor whoever writes his prescription so it's not black market illegal narcotics they're prescription drugs but your brain doesn't discern and say like, oh, you had a prescription for this, like the chemical reactions or the chemical reactions, whether you're taking heroin or whether you're taking fentanyl or more pharmaceutical morphine, right. it's all going to this part of your brain and just sure. slowly rewiring your op- your pain sensors. And, and I really think that it, uh, it would be a great thing in the world if a doctor, if every doctor who said, I know you're in pain from this kidney stone and... This is, there's this thing I can give you. But just if, know this. If you open this door and you take this thing, and if you were to continue to take it, it will actually cause you more pain. And I don't mean emotional pain. I mean it actually flips your brain upside down to where, like, now you're not... It's not like you're, if your back is hurting. Sure, your back was sore. You have back problems. It's hurting. But once you've added prolonged use of... Uh, painkillers specifically the ab- your body resents the absence of those chemicals if you cease to have a supply to put in there and your brain makes it even worse like your opioid receptors are not even talking about just um, your back hurts or this hurts it, it, they're saying we're, we are, yeah. we're hurting we're in need right. there's this itch that needs to be scratched you've and, taken away what we've right. gotten used and to and if, if a doctor would honestly tell somebody like this is the gamble you take like, you can take this now, and it'll, get, it'll certainly diminish the pain the, the, the pain you're in from this procedure, whatever it is. It will diminish that pain. But if you were to, you know, get caught up with these things, it doesn't take hardly any time at all. And it will rewire you, and, you know, it, it no longer becomes a, uh, a source of joy or even a quote-unquote high... You know, you, you break the piggy bank of dopamine and serotonin in your brain, and once it's gone, you know, your brain doesn't start making... It's not like inflation. They don't just print more money, and you have cheaper serotonin or less valued. It's like if you if you burn through it, it it takes a long time, like, for your brain to start to rewire itself to a healthy way. And, you know, so it, it's complicated in that, you know, in it's not so black and white anymore, like if it ever was, but that it's, it's not thugs looking for street drugs. The path now that seems real common to read about is this person, they went in for some procedure and they got Percocets or whatever they got from the doctor and, or, or pain management and that in itself is kind of problematic because any prolonged use of these things is what starts to do that to your brain. So then all these restrictions come in or something changes with their insurance, whatever. Now they don't have access to this medication anymore. And now they're going to look for... Alternate sources, and now and they're going to be angry and disillusioned and exactly. disenfranchised, and they're going to be they going to be reckless. And you, they, you know, I, so is that why I we used, see
1: people go from the prescription base to the street? Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and exactly. I,
3: I, used to have like, and this was my rationalization of why, like, you know, I had a, a, a very strict rule that it was for me, it was you know, it had to be pharmaceuticals because I knew it's like if this thing has a letter and numbers on it i can look on my phone it's going to tell me that it's milligrams of this drug and i have an approximate idea of what how it's going to make me feel what it's going to do for me where if you go and buy street drugs nine times out of ten someone who's pushing the stuff they're going to tell you it's like oh be careful with this stuff man it's the fire it's good stuff and then you do it and you're kind of like uh it was pretty it was junk it was lousy so then the next and time you get twice as much then, and you get the then, you, then the one person out of ten that says, oh, be careful with this stuff, man. It's good stuff. And you're just kind of like, Psh, this isn't my first rodeo. And then you have all of these ODs and stuff because people, there's, you don't have any way to know what you're getting. There's no quality control to it. This is one of a million problems with it all. But that's, I think, why the headlines are more and more what we're seeing of you know the the numbers of uh, of overdoses and the conversation of carrying around uh the, uh, n- the narcan yeah. this stuff but
0: you're an artist first let's get back to the art yep. the fourth studio record what's it called again
3: heal yes yes, yes.
0: It, correct me if i'm wrong I'm a little confused but it seems like you almost wrote your songs about recovery while you were still in the throes of addiction yeah
1: is this the, uh, the you're talking about the the uh, David Barbie producer? Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, it's a brilliant, and brilliant CD, and and also from a musical perspective, you know, you you guys are always trying to distance yourself from jamming, not from the ethos, but sure. from the being in a rut musically, and you're introducing all these sounds, and then that's where it all comes together. And did you, are you telling me you were still in the thick of addiction while you?
2: Well, not
3: n- uh, well, not in the. I wasn't in the the depths of it, but I mean, I was actively using but it was still uh, you know and even you know all my life in the in the dark moments again this is where like you ask if could i ever not write as a result of it if anything if maybe the the act of writing in itself that was my hope that was the only thing like that was something yeah like you know whether it's a, a diary just to yourself or to get your thoughts out on paper or put it into a song And, uh, you know, Heal, it it definitely has, I'd say it has some of the, you know, real brutal stuff within, you know, the subject matter of, like if you go from Sweet Oblivious Antidote and you're talking about like, you know, I want you to know that I'm doing fine. I hope you smile when you're singing. And then you get to the name name of the album is is Heal.
1: I thought it would be a very soulful album because of the (laughs) Heal.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, then uh, that was when Ruby stepped in, was playing keys for that album mm-hmm. because we, you know, we parted ways. With, and, you know, Matt, we we Did hit your
0: addiction. A- have anything to do with Matt leaving?
3: Um, you'd probably have to ask him. But I that what was that was not voiced no. at the time. Okay, uh, I think it was more it was it was more of a personality conflict, and I think none of us were business majors, and we're trying to figure out how to do this business of music as well as the band and people's ideas of how that should be done and uh, the the way I see it in my memory and why it came to pass as it did it was that I felt like he wasn't happy out on the road like he was uncomfortable or whatever reasons like well, he had, had two, burnt he had out two, like he he getting burned French out he's and got and things at home so when he's out on the road he was kind of like his, you know upset. It's like, man, I'm you know, missing out on this at home, my kids, and I've got all these things at home to come out and, and do this, and not, I don't mean that in the sense of dealing, just dealing with me, but dealing with it's not always this glamorous. Like, this one room where we're doing this interview is the size of the entire backstage of last night. Right. This, you know, and so... It, yeah. And, it, you know, it's not always comfortable, and we you know, you don't there was a time where we couldn't afford just one hotel room so everybody could grab showers and then everyone else still sleep in a sleeping bag or whatever. The standard of living and the burnout, the amount of work. He wasn't happy on the road, I don't think. And, okay, well I didn't mean to you know. derail you. No, but, if we can get back to what you sure. were saying about the other record. and And he also wasn't happy at home. Got so when he's at home, he's saying it's kind of like it wasn't yeah. a respite it wasn't yeah. noises and, and it was it was kind of like if if it's if so unhappy here so but we we parted ways and again we already and again we didn't have to put up a flyer seeking keyboardist we already knew John Ruby from playing guest right. out of Ohio and we already great friendship he was great really rapport. a guest musician a great a great friendship and rapport so he was able to step right in there yeah, and I
0: love Matt but there were still some sure. damn oh, yeah. good p Group shows in there yeah,
3: absolutely. and this
0: record is fantastic yeah.
3: And, and, uh, and again, he brought in some vocal talent because he did the lead vocals for his other group. And so that was exciting for me. So that lent itself to different writing and more back on the wanting multiple vocals in the, in the music. And he also had his own lyrical content. And then at, in three of the songs, coincidentally, the, the term heel came up to some extent of like, you know, in his song something about heal and it was not like we were saying this is the theme it's just like it's like why not call it heal because and obviously it seemed like we were trying you know without specifically saying it it seemed like we could all use a little bit of comfort and healing and uh, and I think that whatever thoughts I articulated in those that batch of music particularly you can still tell that I. You know, it, my humanity was never so obscured by my using that I lost my empathy or uh, quality as far as caring about people and myself. I got a, and,
0: I'll admit it, and Seth, then my listeners will make fun of me. But there were a couple times I got emotional listening to that record. It's very, very powerful. The third track, and there's one toward the end.
3: Yeah. There's very, a, very Yeah, you, you got like A Day the Way They Used to Be, and then yeah. a Downside. And then there's the song called Under Lock and Key that... That's yeah, that's a, that's a, a complete love song because during this this moment in time there was you know there was a person in my life that I was very much uh, so in love with and I again this one I I thought it was going to be the thing and that was that and I to where things turned dark as far as using so I write this material during the heel era. And But there's still love songs in there because there's still love happening. There were still beautiful things happening. And, um, you know, so there are some sweet and nice sentiments. And But, you know, it ends on the track of uh, lost connection. So instead of the answer to your question, well, I love you is only always. It's kind of like I feel there's been a lost connection and I'm not sure what's going on, but I know something's not quite right and I need to figure out how to... Heel. And then we also had someone who had been our tour manager, uh, hanged himself, um, uh, Brad yeah. Robinson. Like, yeah. so, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, and there's, again, people with their own darkness and their own things going on. So just just an awful lot of stuff. And then when the... You uh, weren't on the
0: road with him when that happened? No, did no, no, actually, was
3: I was at Bonnaroo just uh, hanging out and having some fun. I actually, uh, like I said, in with the Umphreys guys and uh, with Mo but I was just at bonnaroo kind of you know, if I could sit in, very awesome thanks to those But guys, was being so hospitable. Yeah, i'm but, first guys um, love you. Oh yeah, they they're the best, man. All around. Like great people, great music. And not just the the band members but their organization is just great. I don't get carried
0: away now. No, I like it. I'm just so. kidding. <laughs>
3: um so Sunday back behind the main stage, hanging out and then uh someone hands me their cell phone they're like, it's Adam and it's loud and I couldn't hear so bad enough that he had to say it the first time and it had to be like, what did you say? And he was, and he said that Brad had, uh, had, had, uh, hung himself and you know, it's uh, it's heartbreaking because he was not a, a tragic figure.
1: I mean, if anyone knew him,
3: he 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 was jolly. So, jo- I mean, he yep. was the
1: guy that would get to the show early. I, I always have these memories of him going to the Mo shows, and he would get he, his thing was like like exercise, like kind of a joking thing. So he would go and get the, his friends and everyone wear a ba- uh, a sweat uh, headband and like get everyone doing like stretches before the show, and just you know he it was so shocking because I didn't know he was hurting. I know
3: who has demons. Right. Well, and that, I don't think anybody really would have thought of him to have been the person. And how often do we say that? It's like, oh gosh, it was well, shocking. Sometimes there you know, know, like, you know, yeah. someone's
1: hurting in there. Yeah, that yeah. person's been really and struggling, but with now, man, Yeah, he I,
3: didn't have some, any, uh, certainly no scandalous kind of, oh, have you seen, he's just, gosh, he's not in a good place. It's not going well. Like, it was, it was shocking it was a shock. to hear that. And, uh, And that, you know, so things were dark and heavy from just that part of things. And then when uh, the muse behind the song Under Lock and Key uh, departed from my life, and, uh, you know, she deserves every bit of happiness that she has out there, but that was she, that relationship, and this is not, it was not her responsibility to be this, but that was the last thing that I was, having to navigate around where I wasn't completely like you know I can call this dealer whenever I need to like I still had to maneuver and keep things in secret so once that was gone you were just twisting in the wind right? and and, and of course at the moment I was like well great now I can just party like you want to leave me whatever I can do whatever I want and then that's where it really started to uh, as far as be only kind of a dark thing like you know, you want to sit there and tell yourself, it's like, I don't need this, I can just, you know, blah, 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 blah. but ultimately, you know, that gets to a point where you're just, you're burnt out, and uh, no matter, you might think that it sounds like, oh, how nice, no one to bother you, and just you can party and write your music, whatever, and uh, it's really, it, it just is ultimately a sad thing where it's just you alone with your vices, and not to mention the fact that I always have to wonder, if i didn't have those vices or this thing that i felt i could navigate in secret is like you know she it was never that she was like you know you're cheating on me or this or that she, she could just tell though that i was up to something right and and she couldn't have it anymore
0: let me ask you this comedians who are addic- going through addictions often talk about being worried about Losing their talent by when they lose the addiction. Did you ever have that concern, or is that is that another way the songwriting kept you? You know,
3: I I'm not I was never concerned with that because uh, once uh, you know, it's, you know I started that YouTube channel while I was right, in drug right. court, and that was uh, for me like that. That's what kept me sane. Like because if all, if your whole day is all like check in with your probation officer, pee in this cup, do this, do that, do this. You know, it just kind of, uh... What are your favorites on that channel? Yeah, and, you still, and,
1: and you still have that channel. It's oh, yeah. Still oh, hitting, yeah. Still up.
3: And uh, oh, some favorites on it. Like, uh, I really like... Uh, there's a version I did of God Only Knows, of the Beach Boys, that, where I looped the vocals at the end. Um, there's a Tom Waits cover that I'm really happy with. Uh, Tallest Man on Earth, The Wheel... Uh, I
0: liked. It. I heard but, you do a cover of one of the new Basement songs. Song, uh, oh
3: yeah, and when I get my hands on you. Yeah. And again, that was I was I'd met somebody too at that point. I was you know crushing on this girl a little bit, and that song and looping it, and but it I just know the show. feeling, and that song
0: captures yeah, that feeling exactly.
3: And, and uh, so it was it was a great thing to have. So the the music is is it's always been there, and I, I never like, I did wonder if what, during the reunion shows would i be a little bit what i feel nervous because uh, not just to mention the fact of doing it completely sober but this is, it's been years and yeah. and people have had all these changes am i going to get out there will i be lacking You know did did i have confidence as a result of these things or that and i immediately felt such a natural rush at that reunion show and felt and actually maybe probably had the most clarity to actually Feel the love and support, and the respect the show for what it was, and really my gratitude for the, the people that were there and wanted to see the band back. And
0: and, and I like that they, they re-cut they re, um, these albums. They recreated and did live versions right. of them. I want to speak to that gratitude because he has a song called Walking in Place that they normally do. It's kind of like uh, Harpua. It can open up in any sort sure. of theatrical or improv. But on, that, on the time when they recorded it, it was a New Year's show or something, Brock yeah. expressed, he chose that moment to express the gratitude to the fans and to his bandmates, isn't that yeah, correct? Oh yeah,
3: and that's, you know, like you, like you pointed out, that in earlier times, it could it was almost kind of a silly forest thing is where the the rev the reverend chopping broccoli uh, yeah, comes yeah, chopping out broccoli, and i'll be yeah. like you know oh yeah ladies how you doing that i did so good to see you and this and this but now it's really it as it more often than not serves as a time where instead of just being silly it's a really nice opportunity to uh to express that kind of thing like you know just how much you we appreciate you the audience and uh and we
0: appreciate your time
1: you've been very patient here yeah, i do have one quick question though uh before we end this mm-hmm. um on this subject matter now when you go to something like you're wearing a jam cruise shirt yeah. when you go to something like a jam cruise or you go to a festival where you're there for a while mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know you you're brock i mean you're the guy with a guitar that's up all night and just going and you're you are on a loop um how do, how do, do you go now to these things with a different approach?
3: To a festival, or something. Yeah, so if you're
1: in an environment um, like that,
0: where you know the, it, people are partying well, as far, for a long period of time, it's almost a, like you have to be on guard the whole time. As far as
3: it, no, and it, well, you could view it that way, but actually, again, because I've been so open with my experiences, nobody wants to hurt me. You know, there's not some shady person out there that's just waiting to try to derail my life with drugs. Like, is it a risk? Yes, but I would. I don't want to feel that I'm exposed or that i need to be guarded or protected because ultimately that takes away like i'm in the driver's seat and the responsibility is mine to make the right choices and then as far as being the guy that would play all night long around the campfire as far as accepting that you know in this band it is a business it's our livelihood and while there have been beautiful moments of doing the all night campfire singing thing that if at amberland if a thousand people bought tickets to see these sets but only 20 or 25 people they sure they got a real special maybe right. around a campfire but then the other hundreds of people the next morning when i come obviously stumbling on stage been up all night you know it, there's another musician yeah. I like that has a problem with so that. it's you know it's really it's i think it's about my respect for that you know that people are are spending their money that they work for for tickets to come see our show and they they deserve for my my, where are my priorities all brock and nothing but the brock there there will be i'm sure campfires and things like that but uh, it's not going to be uh haphazard or foolhardy it's going to be like you know priority one is that i want to be in peak form for the proper sets
0: Stage of the Friday Playhouse with Seth and myself.
1: That was a great interview. I thought, well, you know, actually, I don't know how great. It's really up to you guys how great it is. It was. <laughs> That's right, Seth. But um, don't I hurt enjoyed, yourself. Pat yourself on the back. I enjoyed is what I meant to say talking to Brock. I've known him for years, and and uh, and perpetual group of that. And it was just nice to it was nice to re- catch up, and and I'm I'm excited to see what they're they got coming up. See if they can reinvent themselves here in the new millennium.
0: Very funny, uh, joy of recording skit on their website with, with uh, Brock uh, Butler. Yeah,
1: that's so funny. The uh, where he's, where he's the painter,
0: uh, their upcoming dates, uh, include New Year's, uh, and and uh, well, they do a New Year's run that's part in Charlotte and part in Charleston. Go to p-groove, pgroove.net to check out their tour dates. Um, great hey, to have them back. And a
1: big shout out to Matt, uh, with the band there, Matt McDonald. He has been their main marketing guy for years and and really if you th- if you look at Perpetual Groove 2000 versus Perpetual Groove 2017 <clears throat> the uh the art that they put out there the imaging they the, the way they represent themselves uh their marketing schemes all this sort of stuff he he's the mastermind behind it and I give him a lot of credit he Does a great job with it and um
0: Can you mention, in the interview, we talked about the new Adam
1: Perry project. Yeah, and they got a date coming up in Atlanta. I'll tell you about that on a future episode. We may be one of the few publications, if any, to uh, release the first track that they're going to release.
0: That would be great. And uh, hopefully we have a new podcast idea that in 2018 uh, that might be more Atlanta-specific that we might be getting around to. And that would be just the type of act I would love to feature on that show. Right, right,
1: right, Brett? Yeah. Would you agree? I would agree. And also they're... The producer would be the one on that one. But we'll, we'll get to that later. But, hey, Rob, what else you got to say?
0: Let's not delay anymore, dude. It's, it's talked about on the internet. People are freaking out. People are excited. We have a new segment. And you, you have a sound effect for this new segment. Because mm. we are going to rip from the headlines of November 6th when we released our Vince Herman episode. And this is what they covered instead. Because we're frustrated with our lack of coverage, you know? We're, we're pouting. We're, we're annoyed. We want to we be noticed more, because not for us particularly as people, for the podcast. We want the podcast to survive.
1: Well, according to that, um, what's that publication that, that was texting all couple uh, the Twitter thing the other week? If we had money and we paid for people to write stories for us, then Ugh. we'd do much better. Yeah,
0: we're never going to do that. We're not going to do <laughs> fake followers or any of that crap. You know what I mean? It's all going to be real. But we would like to get more people listening and more people... We are getting more of an active listenership. Um, You know what I mean? People who are starting to respond more, starting to share stuff on the web.
1: Get on with it, Rob.
0: Passive listeners are great, but active ones are more helpful and more likely to help keep us doing what we do. Okay, so we've got a bunch of publications. Seth, I'll read you the publications. You pick four, and I'll read you an example of something they covered on the day when we, instead of our Vince Herman episode... One of, what one of these uh, uh, publications covered? Okay, right, go. We got Atlanta Journal Constitution. Ooh, who has ignored us? Even, even same with Creative Loafing Atlanta. That's on here too. They both ignored it. Even we're, we're not on a, the radar. Even when we were the only press backstage at Colonel Bruce Hampton thing, they still. I've reached out to them. Ignored. Wall Street Journal,
1: Boston Globe. You're from Boston. I'm from Framingham. Yeah, uh,
0: Tallahassee Democrat got a got a shoehorn Tallahassee in any way we can, right, so Yeah, I guess so. Rolling Stone, come on, David. Pitchfork, we're not hip enough for them. Pace, you'd think we'd be pipping up for pace, maybe. And aren't they right over there on on uh, College Ave? I don't know if they still are, but you would think so, Rob. But
1: here's the thing:
0: yes, I think they're not having deal with states now. We didn't deer. If we had
1: deer take on the full official one, maybe they would have. Maybe would have been on the radar, but you know they're not going to pay attention to Brock. No offense. And
0: live for live music. All right. All
1: right. So,
0: So, Seth, which would you like?
1: Well, I I mean, I'm Tallahassee, so let's go there. But let's start with AJC. Let's go to Tallahassee. I would like to know what Rolling Stone did or didn't do. And, hell, live for live music.
0: All right. That's a nice range. That's a nice range. Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Black Friday, 2017. Target reveals massive Black Friday ad Monday preview sale. This is a news piece, Seth. This is a news piece that Target released an advertisement. That's more important than an interview with Vince Herman discussing the career, discussing how... uh, Here's what I think of that, of of this... That's right, AJC. I'm going to tear up your piece of crap. Would it kill you? Would it kill you one mention? (sighs) All right, you want to go to Tallahassee? The... the Tallahassee Democrat. Which now,
1: is this the entertainment section of Tallahassee Democrat? Or are you like going main news?
0: I just looked for the stupidest thing I could find. All right. University of Memphis grad traveling to see all sites <laughs> in National Park s- <laughs> Service system. <laughs> this. This is about a guy who's going, who can afford not to have to work, and is just going to travel in the national parks. University of Memphis graduate Mika Meyer is traveling 100,000 miles in a converted cargo van over a three-year period, taking in all 400. No, I don't care. We had Vince Harmon. It was funny. There were It sto- was a Waylon Jennings story. And you're covering some grad who's pampered and has all this money so he can travel. Oh,
2: God.
1: Okay, moving on.
0: <sighs> Rolling Stone? Was that the other one? Yes, it was. Okay. Hot sex inside the kinky world of bespoke porn. Or is it bespoke? I don't know. For fans sick of mainstream clips found on sites like Pornhub, custom films scratch every odd itch and might also save the injury industry. Oh, man, and definitely want to help out the porn industry, right, Seth? I'm oh, to be kidding me they take us into the world of porn rather than into the All world right, of right. Vince Herman that is just stupid okay
1: okay so then Live for live music who you know they cover they would they would be more likely to cover Vince Herman yeah. than most of these yeah unless of course Vince was performing in any of those markets but um what did Live for live music what was more important than the Vince Herman interview that day?
0: Something strange happens to Spotify when you listen to the Stranger Things two soundtrack, Seth.
1: <laughs> Written
0: by one of my f- favorite fish writers too. With last weekend's release of the second installment of Netflix original series Stranger Things, the world is once again buzzing about the show and its lovable young cast of misfits, Seth. Oh my god! I wonder if they paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you hadn't had a chance to binge the new set of episodes yet, it's been a busy couple of weeks. No spoilers. This is a music website. You can still get in the mood with season two soundtrack. However, as you listen to the new soundtrack or the old one, for that matter, you may begin to notice something strange to happen to your Spotify. And they make you link to something else, which counts how many people linked, I guess. Whoa, when you open the Stranger Things soundtrack and Spotify and either let the player sit or use the slider to navigate within the song, the streaming program takes you to the upside down. Not the inside out. No,
2: the upside down. I see, I see.
0: The
1: frightful alternative uh, dimension that the show's young heroes Oh, oh
0: god, who fucking care do people care about this shit?
1: Can we close this segment?
0: Oh my god. <laughs>
1: Next week we have the infamous String Dusters. Yeah. And coming up, we've got tons in store for you. We're, uh, we're closing out the year. We're going to be doing the T-Dog like we have talked about in the beginning, the T-Dog Hoot Nanny, the Holiday Hoot over at Derminal West in Georgia here in Atlanta. And then we've got We've got a couple shows, uh, interviews in the can we'll be sharing with you all, and we got a bunch more coming up. And of course, I'm going on the road. I'm going to be out there, folks. If you are on Jam Cruise, Strings and Soul, Closer to the Sun, I'll be there. Come say hi to me. Or if it- you want to have a phlegmy
0: conversation, chase them down, people. Yeah, you're going to be away. I'm going to miss you, dude. You're going to mm-hmm. be away like the majority of the next two months, and then I'm going to be away a lot of January. So it's going to be sparse, our little time here. That's why, that, one of the reasons... While we're going to pull back? We're going to do episode forty-eight and forty-nine in December. Yes, we're going to do episode fifty. We've got. Uh, we I don't know if we're going to do a live event or not. We'll but talk more about that. Yeah, we'll do something special, and then we have a uh, uh, the beginning of something very special in February. And we're we're holding our Anders Beck interview. We're going to do a. We're going to release two parts in one day of Anders Beck from Green Sky Bluegrass. Wonderful, extensive conversation with him. Too long for one podcast, even. Even by my standards, Seth. That's good. I you. don't want a two-hour and 45-minute podcast.
1: So thanks for listening, everybody. Inside Out, WTNS.com. Follow us on Twitter and... As the Rolling Stones say, we love you. And don't forget, taxes are coming, so don't delay. Call Polay!
2: All racing, all racing, till fear